Good morning, everyone, and good morning on ACB Radio. I know it's awful early for some people, but we do have at least one person on Zoom who's from out on the West Coast, and and we certainly thank you for um, having breakfast with us, or maybe not even breakfast yet. I don't know. Uh, So this is the Mountain State Council of the Blind Convention, and we thank you for joining us, however you might be joining us. Uh, this morning, I'm going to go over our program for a little bit, and then we're going to have some door prizes, and then we'll proceed. So uh, after we do a little welcome and, and door prizes, uh, we have updates for, from the West Virginia Library Commission from ja- Jasmine Lewis Combs. Uh, then at 940... We will have our rehab review, is what we're calling it, Kevin Manus. Um, and then at 10 o'clock, we have Independence with Ira from Paul Schroeder. Many of you might be familiar with Ira, but I'm sure he can give us some new Ira news. Uh, then we have those wonderful door prizes that people like. Um, at 10 or at 10.30, we have our own Marcia Springston Dillon, who's going to, I titled her, talk and I'm not sure how she's going to go with it but that's <laughs> um, hay is for horses clay is for potters uh, Marcia is a avid horse rider and 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 she in her day job is works with ceramics as she's a potter um, then at 1050 we're going to hear from uh, Jeff Tom and this is a change in, in the original program um, Jeff is going to be joining us all the way from Sacramento California and he's going to be talking about meeting the needs of seniors with vision loss, um, a battle that must be won. And when I say seniors, I mean um, people who have lived for many years, not those seniors in high school. Uh, so then at 1120, um, we're going to be talking about managing your health from home. Uh, Claire Stanley's going to talk about some of the um, advocacy issues regarding medical equipment and issues um, that ACB is working on. And then we'll have door prizes, and then we will break for lunch at noon. So this segment goes till noon. All right, so it is time for door prizes. So, Mr. Glenn, if you would get your here. whatever you have there. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Okay. So, actually, you need to do a random number between 1 and 73. Okay. Siri, pick a random number between 1 and 73. Random number between 1 and 73 is 25. 25. Number 25. Okay. So, our lucky person, number 25, oh, is one of our presenters. He will be on the program this afternoon, Um, Steve Hoyt is from Columbus, Ohio, and he represents Pilot Dog. Um, So let me write that down, and I will tell you in a moment what he's going to get. Okay, he will get... Give me a second here. I always had to jump files, because I I need to put them all in the same file, and then it would be easier. Give me a second. Um, He's going to get a gift card. I do remember that. Okay, he will get a, uh, okay, 
um, he will get a $15 Amazon gift card donated by one of our members, Carol McGee. Okay, so Glenn, uh, pick another number. All right. Siri, pick a random number between 1 and 73. Random number between 1 and 73 is 32. Number 32. 32. Okay, and number, sorry, more people keep coming in. Um, Number 32 is, they are going to receive a a $10 gift card to Sheets, uh, compliments of the Potomac Valley chapter. And that will go to, oh my, Matt Stewart, who's another presenter. Yay, Matt Stewart. Uh, Matt will be presenting this afternoon as well, actually. And, and he um, is a teacher at the School for the Blind. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me write this down. Uh, sheets. Okay. And let me. And so um, all of these door prizes, if you win one, they will be mailed to you uh, by the person or well, person who uh, donated them. Okay. Um, all right, I got to get caught up here. Uh, all righty. Uh, so, oops. Um, let's do one more, Glenn. Because okay. we, have, we have a little bit of time. We'll do one more. Siri, pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 27. Number 27. She's kind of right in the that same area there. She is. Okay, that is Danette Dixon from Linwood, Washington. Uh, the state of Washington, that is. Uh, so I don't know if she's in yet, but... Okay, and so that will be, I'll tell you in a second what she's getting. Um, it's, actually, I think I remember, but uh, before I say it, I wanna, I, when I numbered these, I, I remembered certain ones, um, and I think this was one, but sometimes as, as we age or as we become one of those seniors that Jeff's going to be talking about, our memory starts to fail us. Okay. So I'm already Danette, into that ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> um, Danette is going to receive, Oh, I thought so. Yeah. A ceramic um, spoon rest. And that is donated by our own Marcia Springston Dillon, who actually made them, um, she will be speaking later. Okay, so um, we are going to start just a hair early with our program. Uh, so our speaker, our first speaker this morning, who I know is here, and uh, <laughs> what was really neat about when I contacted uh, this person, it was way back, really pretty much about a week or so before COVID hit everybody. <laughs> she um, and she agreed, uh, but then of course we had to, you know, change. And and she just said, "I I can still do it. I'm good." So I'm going to introduce our next speaker, Jasmine Lewis Combs. Um, so many of you 
especially those of you from West Virginia, uh, know Jasmine as really the previous digital access librarian for the West Virginia Library Commission uh, Special Services Division. Um, actually, Jasmine doesn't really work there anymore, but she keeps in, in close contact, and she assured me, and, and I know she can, she can really update us on things. So while working at the West Virginia Library Commission, she assisted in the implementation of duplication on demand, uh, technology lending, and the creating of the Wonder Book collection. I hope you talk a little bit about that. I'm not real familiar with that. Um, so now, though, Jasmine is currently working as the librarian at Kentucky Christian University in Grayson, Kentucky, while She's working on her doctorate of leadership studies at Marshall University, uh, where she is focusing, oh, we're all going to like this, on web accessibility and online learning for students with disabilities. My word, what a timely issue. Whoa, boy. Uh, so, Jasmine, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the Mountain State Council of the Blind Convention, and thank you so much for joining us, and you can unmute and share with us. Thank you, Donna. I appreciate it. I'm so glad to be here and to be able to go back and talk a little bit um, about the Library Commission and my my job there and give you guys some updates there and also to talk a little bit about this doctorate in uh, web accessibility and online learning in such a timely manner. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, First, let's start and let's talk a little bit about the commission. Um, I I did leave the commission in uh, late March. So just as everyone was going home for COVID and uh, we all got sent home, I actually did my last week with the library commission um, from home uh, before I started work here at KCU in Grayson. Prior to that, though, we had a lot of changes going on at the commission and uh, some things to, to give you guys some heads up on. And then we can talk about some of the programs uh, that we had started and that are still rolling there. Um, most notably, the National Library Service got a name change early this year. Um, they went for a new, to be more inclusive was their um, their thoughts there. So they're now the National Library Service for the Blind and the Print Disabled. Um, so I was really glad to see that as we were getting more and more applications for people that weren't just blind or low vision, but we were also getting lots of people that had traumatic brain injury or had other print disabilities that they really needed the use of uh, the talking book services, but they, they weren't included in, in that title. So I was glad to see that change come about um, because the program is becoming really inclusive for lots of disabilities across the board. Um, the commission ourselves, we are, you know, still the library for the blind and physically handicapped, and we're still trying to work on getting that name changed and get the, the special services more in there. But we also would like for that to become a little more inclusive as well. Um, the department itself, we're still located in the, the basement of the culture center on the Capitol complex. Um, and we have actually really reduced our footprint in that building from the huge stacks and stacks and stacks of little blue boxes that we used to have. 
uh, to a very small footprint now because of duplication on demand. And I figure many of you are very familiar with Dupe on Demand. Um, the program itself is basically run out of a desktop computer and a nine-slot um, toaster is what we call it because it, it resembles a toaster turned on its side. Um, we take those blank talking book cartridges, slide them into this toaster, and it automatically duplicates books based on the patrons wants and needs and whatever books that we have selected for the patron there uh, depending on the size of the cartridge it tells us how many books we can put on there so some of our larger cartridges will hold 25 30 books on them some of the smaller ones will only hold a couple um, and a lot of our patrons still only like one book per cartridge but we've had a great great uh, response to this with people that really love getting more than one book on those cartridges it has allowed our circulation uh, we've been on dupe on demand a little over a year now and at last count um, our circulation had more than tripled um, for that year so we're really seeing a great response there other things that we have going on um, we have some braille learning kits that we put together we originally intended for those to go out uh, through the Library Commission, but, and we wanted to send those out to parents and students that were having difficulty getting resources to learn Braille. Um, previous to coming to the library world, I was a TVI, and I worked here in Kentucky, um, in Greenup County, and that was one of my biggest issues, was getting students the resources that they need to learn Braille. And I worked very hard to get those out there. So when I came to West Virginia, I seen a lot of the same issues. There was um, a, students that were out in areas that they don't have a teacher for the visually impaired or that they the, the district doesn't have the resources to provide them uh, what they need to learn Braille skills. So we put together uh, these kits with a variety of different activities. I made some of them myself. I put, uh, you know, different seek and find activities in there there's buckets of rice there's buckets of um beads there's just all kinds of different textures and and activities in there some of them i ordered from uh sorry i dropped my computer oh. uh some of those i ordered from louisville from uh oh my goodness american printing house Yes, thank you. I'm so sorry. It just totally escaped me there. Uh, we ordered a bunch of activities from American Printing House. We ordered some books from them. But one of my favorite things that we did was we took uh, books that are like for toddlers that have the sound panel in them. And we created our own tactile and texture seeking books. Uh, so we, we put those in there as well. Um, most recently, though, we weren't seeing that these kits were circulating, so we donated those kits uh, to the education department, and they have distributed those kits across the state to be used by uh, TVIs and in districts that there's very little resource. So that's one of my pet projects that I was really happy to see get moving and get off the ground here lately. Um, the Wonder Books that we mentioned, they are a new product that we 
uh, Donna and I spotted at the library convention in Washington, D.C. last year, last summer. And I really, really liked them. They, um, they're kind of like a tri-vision book. We took them and they're a standard print book with a sound panel built into them, but it's kind of like an audio book built in. Um, so they, you know, you turn the pages with the book and it reads the book as you go. But then we took and added an extra layer to this and it's still a work in process, but we're, we're getting there. Um, we're adding the Braille to those books so that it will be, you know, something that parents can use or teachers can use that there's the print there for our sighted people that need that. The Braille's there as a learning tool and the audio is there as a learning tool as well. So um, we have about, I think, 35 of those books, and they range from very early uh, readers to chapter books. So those are there and available for checkout. Um, if you would like those, all you have to do is let uh, let the girls and guys know at the commission and they can send those out to you. Um, the technology lending is also something that we have really stepped up in the last couple of years. When I started at the commission, we didn't have a whole lot of, of recent technology there. And we worked really hard to upgrade that and to get it into the hands of our patrons. Um, at last count, we had, I think, two Braille note touches that were in circulation, a couple of brilliance, and then we had some of the 14 cells, smaller brilliance that we were we were circulating. As I was leaving, we had placed a large order for um, some newer Braille notes and some Braille devices. But because of the pandemic, even though we got the orders out and they were funded through you know, through all the steps that they have to go through as a state department, um, they also have to be signed for when they're delivered. So they got sent back to the manufacturer. So we're still on hold to getting some of that new technology because this pandemic has really put a, a wrinkle in our plans. Um, there are still a large number of uh, Victor readers and Victor reader uh, treks that are available for lending. Uh, there's also some iPads. Um, we had a couple of Kindle Fires and I think there's a Samsung Galaxy Note as well that are available uh, for for lending and for checkout. So that was one of the biggest things that we really liked to see was to take that technology and put it in the hands of our patrons because we saw such great success with those. Um, and I really enjoyed getting the feedback from from everyone as they would get those pieces of technology and I really I like it because we didn't never put a limit on how long you can keep that and some of the other programs uh, throughout the state you can keep it for a short amount of time but you have to give it back and we didn't do that once you have that piece of technology it is yours for as long as you want to use it um, so that is definitely something to uh, check out if you have a piece of technology that you're wanting to try out and get that going. We would really love to put those in your hands. Um, we got a new piece of technology that I really like to play with there toward the end of, I think we got it probably in February. Um, we got a swell form machine. So I was really excited to play with this and, and use it and see how that worked. And so we were really successful in creating some of these tactile images and diagrams um, for people as they would want to have those 
uh, sent in to us and we would create them and then mail them back out. Uh, we did some very high level textbook images for a gentleman up in Northern West Virginia uh, early this year. And they turned out really great. I was really impressed. He emailed me the uh, charts and graphs that he was wanting and we printed those out and ran them through the machine. And in the end, we had a very nice little plastic um, tactile graph to send back to him up in his hometown. So that was great. And that's a service that we offer there as well. Um, most recently, I guess I was looking at numbers some this morning, just to give you a brief update of kind of where we are. Bard is currently setting at just under 120,000 books that are available. In the month of August, looks like the state of West Virginia downloaded about 22,000 books from BARD. Um, circulation statistics are up and continue going up uh, for the library, so we are very proud of that, and especially with duplication on demand, those numbers keep skyrocketing. So we're, we are glad to be the uh, source of information for everyone that's blind or has a print disability in the state. So I would love to answer any questions that you guys have. If you'd like to take a few minutes and see if I can give you some of that information that you're looking for out there as well. Okay. Before, Randy, before you do that, well, actually give, give the directions and then while people are thinking about or whatever, I, I have a question, but go ahead, give the directions first. Sure. Okay. So if you're in the audience and like to participate, uh, you start by raising your hand. You do this by pushing, if you're on a uh, standard Windows machine, Alt plus Y. If you're on a Mac, I believe it's Option Y. That's right. Yep. If yeah. you uh, are on a touchscreen device, you find and activate the More uh, button and then the Raise Hand button. Or if you've called in, you push Star 9. Uh, and then once we take the first one, I will remind everybody how to unmute themselves when they're asked. So just quickly while you're getting ready to raise your hand. Um, one thing, Jasmine, I was wondering, you know, the technology that, that you lend out. Um, I, I think I know the answer. But anyway, do you does the library provide any training for, for the person that's requesting whatever device? We, well, okay. So technically. Typically, what we would do is I would do some training by phone. I'm not uh -huh. there anymore. Right. Um, there are, you know, most of my coworkers there are, have some experience with those devices. However, um, the company that we ordered most of our humanware devices from does provide training. Okay. And that's part of our contract with them. So if you need training on those devices, please, by all means, contact the Library Commission and we can set you up with. Um, the company that, that we purchased from and they provide training one-on-one uh, -on -one, and it's they're excellent, excellent uh, trainers. Yeah, because I was just thinking, I mean, I, I, I myself would probably be okay, but there's people out there who really don't know, first of all, what technology might suit their needs or, or whatever and, and then much less know how to use it, you know, once they got it. So. Absolutely. Okay, Randy, are there any hands? Uh, not at the moment. Oh, wow. Well, it's kind of oh, there we go. The, uh, there we go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Agnes, I see you. Morning, this is Agnes Ferris from Greeley, Colorado, and I just wanted to 
compliment you on all the great programs that you have, and I'm real excited about your technology offerings, and I think it's great that you found a way for people to get training, and I was wondering, with this pandemic and everybody having to learn online, how are things working out for people who have to use our adaptive you know, technology, because I know sometimes platforms don't always get everything up and running with the accessibility feature as quickly as we might like. Absolutely, and that is, you know, something that we have struggled with both as a library uh, for the state that the current library that I'm in working as an academic librarian, uh, we're struggling with and something that I'm looking at, you know, as, as a student working on my my dissertation and I, I'm really, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword at this point. I'm thrilled that people are recognizing that we have to have these accessibility measures in place. But at the same time, I'm really disappointed that people don't have these accessibility measures in place. Um, I think this pandemic has pushed people um, and a lot of organizations to put more accessibility features in, but we still don't have near the level that we need. And that's something that I'm hoping to advocate for, uh, you know, through dissertation and through working on some of these other programs that we have found out there and that we're trying to put in place both academically and on the state level uh, and see some progress through that. All right. I think we have others with their hand We raised. do. Uh... 2898. Hello, Regina. You know what? The, sometimes this unmuting doesn't work, you guys. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I, that. That's okay. Yeah. That's all right. Go ahead. Oh, scared me. Um, do you know anything about this e-reader? I was trying to find out about it. They were, I guess, testing it with people, but I don't know exactly how that works. The new, um, the new device that's coming from, from NLS um, it is in a, like a beta testing phase. Um, it is out there and there are some people starting to test it. Uh, it's not available on a large scale yet. We don't have any of them in West Virginia. So I haven't actually got to, to see it or get oh. my hands on it, I, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> However, they are saying that in the very near future that they're going to be um, available for use and that each library will be uh, distributing those to patrons and have those available. So I'm, I would love to see those in the next year. The, the contracts are out there and um, last, just before pandemic, they were in the build phase. Um, so hopefully we will see those and have those in patron hands within the next year or so. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. All right, 4269. Oh, Debbie Kane. Uh, hi, Jasmine and everyone. Uh, thanks for your presentation. I've really enjoyed it so far. And I know there's a lot of things already in the works, but I was just thinking of something I think would be really cool to maybe think about working on. Um, I don't know if you're all familiar with it, but there's a program called Imagination Library, I believe, and Dolly Parton does it. And basically what it is is a child from birth to five can be signed up, and they receive a book each month. But it's not in Braille or audio. So I was just thinking about audio panels, you know, being added 
or Braille or something. And if we could Absolutely. maybe coordinate something like that with that program. I think, I think that's awesome. great. That could be absolutely be a great plan um, and definitely something worth looking into. I am familiar with the Imagination Library, and that's something that's kind of bothered me across the, you know, through <laughs> yeah, the years. Uh, yeah, is I mean, I've signed my not... granddaughter up, but, you know, I can't read the books to her, you know. <laughs> so. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, you might check with the library or check on BARD and see if there's, you know, an audio or a Braille version of it available. But definitely oh. something I would like to reach out and, and see if they would be willing to have a accessibility <clears throat> uh, feature of some sort, you know, whether it's a specific book that they do or um, if they had an app, to. if they had an app or something, even, you know, right. that, that you could. Yeah. Well, maybe they wouldn't do them all, but maybe if it was on request, like if the if you received one that you were really interested in doing, and I mean it'd be nice to have them all, but if you can get that, maybe you could get, you know, at least some of them or something. Absolutely. But, but thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, one one four five. Yes, this is Karen, and um, two things. First off, the library used to do a newsletter to keep patrons informed. Like if there were new DVDs or new equipment right now, there's no communication to let us know when things are available there, what's new. And secondly, last year there was a concern about not continuing Newsline, which I hope would not happen. But I was wondering where we stand with that as far as funding for Newsline. Absolutely. Uh, There is some concern with Newsline and the funding is not the issue. Um, It's that, we spend a very large amount of money on Newsline each year and the quality of the product that was being returned to us from NFB was not meeting um, the needs of our patron. Uh, we have, you know, the, the newspapers that we have across the state of West Virginia, we would have uh, complaints on a daily basis that these newspapers weren't being updated in the newsline. I was going to add a complaint here in a little bit. Absolutely. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I, I totally understand. Um, it's a huge chunk of our day uh, fielding these complaints about Newsline, and we would spend a huge amount of time trying to resolve these issues with NFB. Um, our contract for Newsline came up in the spring, and we have elected to continue again. However, they have greatly uh, reduced the cost because we were not getting what we were paying for. Uh, you know, a lot of the newspapers, especially the smaller papers, um, were not getting translated onto the newsline system or they were not getting translated in whole to the newsline system. That That's my uh, complaint. Yes. Um, and it's been or, that way for several months now. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we were going through and they're like, oh, no big deal. No big deal. We're working on it. We're working on it. Well, they've been working on it for well over a year now, and we still don't have any progress on this. So they've cut our costs, so we're much happier with it. Um, however, we are still exploring options that could replace that. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of options out there. Um, so that's something that, you know, we're, we're continuing to look at and continuing to work on. And hopefully we all come to a happy conclusion soon. But um, 
you know, the, the expense of that program is just not getting us what we're hoping to get in return. As far as the I'm, newsletter, we have, you know, we've not done a newsletter in quite some time. Um, it's getting better as far as time constraints on our staff, but right now there are one librarian short, um, and they have one, two, three, four staff, you know, there's four staff. There's a, it's a team of five right now, and it's everything that they can do um, just to run the library on a normal day. During this pandemic, they've been working day on, day off, uh, so half in at a time, and they're barely keeping up with, with the book rotation. Um, I don't know that, that honestly we'll ever see a newsletter uh, from the library on a regular basis um, in the foreseeable future. Well, how are patrons to learn? You know, like say you got in a new device, you know, we, we don't know about it because last year they said they had – you know, such and such devices, well, like the fire tablets, but nobody was using them. Well, nobody was using them because nobody knew they were there. Yeah, that's right. a good question. I, yeah. Absolutely understand that. And I, I don't have a solution for that. Unfortunately is the, the best thing that I can, I can tell you on that is if you are looking for something or, you know, give them a call and talk to them, chat with them, but the, um, it's really, it's, it's a time struggle right now for them. And with everything that's going on, it's making it even harder. So hopefully when things get back to normal, um, they'll be able to get something out on a more regular basis. I know we were trying to send out some postcards and things like that when we would get new things on occasion, but it's just, it's very difficult for us to do that. All right. Susanna meant. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I want to say how much I love NLS and have my whole life. So I'm now 60, and I just I just love it. And the, the downloading BARD has been a life changer for reading more, more often. And um, I've got a I've got a document where I collect all the lists of books I want to read in the series and about 40 pages on my <laughs> Uh, and I've got X's by the ones I've read, so because I can't remember which ones I've read. So, but that, that gets me to my question, which is: um, there's a series that I'm reading now, and, and there's several of them where there's there's things missing in the middle, because I get the list of the books, and so I know what um, what's what's out there in terms of the books. But Bard doesn't have them all, and I wonder if there's a way to request that they could try to work on getting fulfilling some of those series and how to do that best. Absolutely, there is. Um, if you contact the commission, we can absolutely request uh, that those are made through NLS. Um, I will say NLS is trying to go back and fill in some of those gaps. Um, I've noticed that, they, too, I will say. <laughs> yes, they they are working because we have a lot of patrons that make that same complaint. Hey, we love this series, but you're missing, you know, books three, four, and five out of a 10-book series. But that's not cool, you know. Crommy's uh, seventh book or whatever, and I'm, now I'm reading the next one. It's like, oh no, I missed one. <laughs> yes, yes. So we have lots of readers that are read it in order, and you have to have every single book. Um, so they are definitely trying to go back and fill in some of those series. So if you have series that you know, you, state, you know we have, let them know. Missing, yeah. Let us know. Yes, by all means. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, next is Rick Boggess. 
a former West Virginian. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, West Virginians. I was going to say that I've been involved, uh, just got my reader here in Kentucky this week. Uh, we, we got, they're distributing the ones from Humanware, excuse me, and they're really nice. So you have something to look forward to. The other thing um, I was going to ask about the distribution of technology by the library, um, do you also work with the assistive uh, technology distribution program? Uh, do they work together possibly? I'm not sure. Um, that's a division I'm not familiar with. So, yeah, I would say they don't. But as you were presenting, Jasmine, I, I that thought ran through my mind that perhaps somehow there could be some collaboration. I, I think that's a great idea. Two I know each state has. I know each state has uh, has an assistive technology program, like here in Kentucky, it's called the CATS program, and uh, and so each state and but each state handles it a little differently. So it might be something to look into. Absolutely, I will definitely pass that along and um, let them know that something like that exists out there. Hey, well, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, um, we're getting close to being out of time, but I think there's a couple of raised hands, so we'll see if we can get them quickly. And I, is there still some raised hands, Randy? There is. Um, there's one that's that's talked before, and then there's one that hasn't. So we're going to go with the one that hasn't. And right, and and then we can probably squeeze the other one in. Yes. Okay. So. I think you say the name Keisha, Keisha Mason. Yes, um, I, I'm here in, in Colorado, and I don't know if this is nationwide, but I was just wondering about the um, quality of the Braille books. It seemed to, I've noticed, uh, um, that the reading, uh, the um, uh, there are more um, errors I've noticed in, in newer books. Is is there a reason for, for that? I I'm just curious. Um, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with with that, and you're not the only person that's had that complaint. Um, I suspect that something has changed in the the process. They are trying to push books out faster um, because people are, you know, they're trying to get everything into that digital format. And I think that some of the issue that we're coming from is the speed that they're pushing things out. So it may not be getting as close of a quality control as it would have before. Um, but we, you're not the only person that's, that's been concerned with that. And that may be something that we need to bring to the attention of NLS um, as a whole and what's going on there. Okay. Yep. Thank you. For, let's take this other one real quick and okay. then, then we'll, we'll wrap one, up. One, one, four, five. I bet that's Karen again. I just wanted to say real quickly, for those who wanted to try a e-reader, the Orbit Reader, I was able to help our West Virginia Assistive Technology Services, since that was mentioned. They have obtained one, and you can borrow it um, from them and become familiar with an e-reader if you're interested. 
Okay. Oh, that's good information. You were um, Mountain State Council hosts. Uh, uh, we call it Seven Up Time. <laughs> uh, call it's actually the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month at seven o'clock. And one uh, sometime very soon, we're going to have the what we call WIVATS, which are, is our as- assistive technology program. Um, we're going to have them on as as part of you know our program that night, our presentation from them. So, kind of be looking for that. Well, Jasmine. I, Wow, this was a lot of information, a lot of lot of input, a lot of questions. Uh, I can't thank you enough for giving up time on your Saturday morning. One question I want to ask you, as, as another hat of ACB that I wear, I'm the treasurer of the American Association of Blind Teachers. And of course, I bet you can figure out what a hot topic is in the American Association of Blind Teachers right now. Uh, we have members of all levels of, of education. Um, and so the the uh, online educational platform accessibility is a hot topic right now. Absolutely. So at some point, and again, we have a um, community call the first and third Wednesday of every month. At some point, you know, I don't know, in your graduate work, I hate to ask you to do another thing, but uh, maybe you would you be willing to speak to us and just kind of tell us what you're looking into or because I'm sure you'll have to do like a thesis or some kind of something or research or something. Absolutely. I I would love to. Um, well, I'll remain in contact with you. And, and, you know, I know as a student, you're, you know, people are busy. I've been there and done that. But <laughs> um, but we we'd love to hear from somebody who who has a passion to, to try to work with this situation. Absolutely. Well, that is definitely my passion. I um, can tell. <laughs> as, you know, I've been a, a special education teacher for my whole life before I was uh, in the library world. So, and my intention is to get back into uh, working with disabilities on a closer level than where I'm at um, as soon as I can finish this program. So, by all means, please, Donna, stay in touch. And, I, I will. Uh, I'd be glad to to speak on any level that you need so okay all right thank you so much jasmine what a wonderful presentation and and i just again thank you for giving up your time and and good luck with your studies so <laughs> thank you thank you thanks for having me guys uh, okay all right we're, we're running just a little bit behind but we'll catch up i think so our next presenter is here and we are now going to have a rehab review um, so Kevin Manus is our next speaker, and um, Kevin had worked for Mountain State Centers for Independent Living for 13 years, um, and then he began working for the West Virginia Division of Rehabilitation Services as a counselor for the blind. Um, he actually started that in January of 2010. Um, and he covered 10 counties. The counselors in West Virginia have to cover quite a wide area. Um, then he started working as the program specialist, uh, blind and visually impaired field services, uh, since September of 2013. And that's the position he holds today. So I would like to introduce Kevin Manus. Can you guys hear me? Yes. All right. You know, Donna, one of the things I also forgot to mention is I'm also a uh, uh, MSCB member, too. So 
um, and former uh, president. Um, not that that's important or anything, but um, just I know I don't have a whole lot of time and I don't want to get into uh, a bunch of statuses and different things like that. Uh, I am going to mention a little bit of that. Um, uh, anybody familiar with rehab process? Um, you know, there's we have orders of selections one, one, two, three, and four, and uh, one is the most severe. Four is pretty much you don't have a disability or it's not permanent. Um, our agency did away with that um, order selection four. And um, currently the only order selection right now that is open is um, order selection one. Uh, you can take an application with us, um, especially if you're an adult. Um, because of the time you have to meet so many requirements, need so many um, uh, services or um, <clears throat> um, time in service, uh, you, you will end up on a waiting list. And however, um, of late, and I think a lot of this is due to COVID-19, um, we're just not serving as many clients as possible so what they have been doing is um, say for example if you uh, take an application in September and you're put uh, on the waiting list then uh, in October you that waiting list will be opened back up you will come off of it and then you will get your uh, services uh, or begin your services um, and they'll, you know, go from there and develop, you know, your uh, plan of employment. Um, you know, back to COVID-19, um, you know, like everybody else, uh, to back on March 18th, we, we all went to work and got an email shortly after telling us to grab everything we would need and uh, to be able to work from home. And um, they sent us home and... Um, I actually have been teleworking from home full time until actually this past Monday. Uh, and I'm now working 50% of the time in the office and 50% of the time I'm still teleworking. Um, our counselors um, and clerical, they've been working 50% of the time um, probably for about the past two and a half months. Um, maybe three. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure of that, but um, it's just been. I don't know. It's just been crazy. I do know that our overall numbers as an agency uh, is extremely low, um, and for and I don't have those numbers uh, in front of me. Um, but it's from what I understand, it's the lowest amount of numbers that we have ever had. Um, to my, from what I understand, is the lowest number of clients across the state, in um, no matter what disability it is, and it's not. Um, uh, let's just say that they're not real thrilled about it, and they uh, they used to 
assign every counselor a certain set of numbers. Um, you had to get so many applications, eligibilities, plans, um, people placed in employment, and then, you know, your 26s is the um, successful closures. And um, they quit doing that back when they did the reauthorization of the Rehab Act um, because they there's a lot of new different indi- uh, indicators of how they determine a successful closure, and and I'll get into that just a, just a tad. Um, that being said, you know one of the changes with the um, uh, reauthorization was the major focus on pre-employment transition services, and you know we have to spend fifteen percent of our client services service funding. Um, on age range of uh, 14 to 21. And um, even though we um, were working from home, uh, you know, we, even though we may not have been in the office, we were still working and, and all that, but um, we still, and, and again, this is, um, you know, the whole agency, they did different camps. It was a lot lower than uh, previous but I can say that uh, for blind services, um, we still did um, uh, some tra- transitional camps. Um, one of the camps that we did was a Summer Institute Transition Camp, and that is done by the Children's Vision Rehabilitation Pro- Project. And... Um, that's where we had 30, we had 30 students that actually, um, back in June, they actually came from across the state. Um, they stayed in a couple of different cabins, um, did the social distancing, the face mask and did all that um, stuff. Um, you know, they learned, you know, some job skills, self-advocacy, um, meal prep, um, worked on some orientation mobility skills, but, you know, they also did some other fun activities. I think they did some whitewater rafting, uh, you know, which also builds up some confidence, zip lining. Um, they also did some, they had some type of musical theme this year. And I think uh, they had Josh, Josh Brown um, was there and he worked with the kids. So it was, it was a really good time, and um, and I, and the kids by then, you know, they they had all been, you know, tele doing their schoolwork online, and and I, I don't know, if the, between the kids and the parents, they were they were glad to, because um, uh, it I think it was started May thirty first and ended June fourth, so um, the kids, I don't know if the parents were happier or the kids was happier to get away from their parents, but. You know, it's a great opportunity, and it's also a good opportunity. Um, There's a lot of these kids, they, um, it's the first time ever being away from home. And for some of them, it's also the first time that they've had the opportunity to um, uh, be around, you know, individuals their own age with visual impairments, and it's a, um, it's a good time for them. Um, another camp, again, this was by um, the Children's Vision rehabilitation project 
Uh, originally, it's an orientation and mobility camp. Uh, last year they did it, and they did it in New York City. We are actually going to do it again this year in New York City, and it was slated to happen in April. And, of course, um, we had to postpone it. You know, we was afraid we might have to have canceled it. Um, but we worked with uh, Becky Coakley and her staff, and they actually um, did this back on June they, June 21st to the 25th, and they actually went to Virginia Beach. And we there was 18 students that went, and, you know, one of the, you know they learned how to different take you know use different modes of transportation and uh mapping skills and uh they're you know are given specific um addresses and other things that they have to do while they're there to help get them prepared and ready for uh transition services um we also our nitro training facility also did an o&m camp uh the latter part of july and first part of August, um, there was only eight, I think eight or nine students that attended that And but they did a lot of the same types of things, um, down in the Charleston, this, our state capital in West Virginia, um, different modes of transportation and, and all that. Um, and then we had a new, uh, new one. Now this one was done virtually, uh, and this was by the Singing Hand Association, and they did one on August 15th, which, which, which was a Saturday. Um, but they only had five students participate. Um, and I would, we, we wasn't sure if that was because it was a Saturday or, you know, kids are just, I don't know, they're tired of doing things online and, and school was around the corner and I don't know. But it was the first time they did something. Um, we're we're going to try to continue to work with them and um, – um, so that, that is that type of information. I'm going to go over some, some numbers here. Um, and, and you'll get a, an idea of just what I was talking about. Um, total, um, the total number of, um, clients. Now this is from October 1st through August 31st of this year and um, we served a total of 249 blind or visually impaired um, uh, clients Um, we have um, we break that down I break it down of oh we have these we have these numbers to indicate what someone would be legally blind meet the level uh, federal definition of legally blind which is a 2200 or um 20 degrees or worse um out of that we had those of 70 and then out of the uh disability code 02 which is the other visually impaired we had um 179 um Total training uh, was 33, and um, four were met the federal definition, and 29 was the other visually impaired. Um, 
see here. Um, okay, job retention, total job retention for the 11 months was 23. And um, 16, I'm sorry, uh, 7 were the federal definition of blindness. 16 was other visually impaired. And then uh, status 26, that's a successful closure. We had a total of 12. And uh, five of those were, were blind. And seven were the other visually impaired. And um, just to kind of, um, you know, they, there's a bunch of other statuses. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into that because it's too hard to, to explain. But because of the reauthorization, you know, uh, status 26s are still very, very important, successful closures, because that means, you know, we have a blind person out there, a visually impaired person out there who has a job, and that is important. But there's another, you know, there's the status 26, which is successful, and then there's status 28 that's not successful. We provided them services, but um, they're just, you know, but the way they do it now is they look at the second and the fourth quarter of the of, of each year and uh, or after the case has been closed. And so you could have uh, two 26s that were successful and then all of a sudden uh, two months or uh, two, uh, two quarters later, they could have lost their job. And then you could have had somebody that was a status 28 unsuccessful and two quarters later or four quarters later, they actually may have a job. And you can still count that as a successful uh, closure. So it's kind of weird. That's but that's my report. Um, I know we're at ten o'clock. I don't know if you have time for questions, but or if anybody has any questions. But that's my report. And thank you very much. Uh, we can take time for questions. Our next speaker is not here, and we're trying to find him. And um, okay. So just a brief reminder, uh, Alt-Y, Option-Y, under the More button, or star 9 on the telephone. So raise your hand if you have any questions or comments. Well, I, I have a question while people are. Um, so what's the status of the... What used to be, uh, maybe still is, the Visions program, like for seniors. I get a lot of calls uh, from, you know, seniors who are losing vision, and you know, they're they're not seeking employment. They're they're past that stage. Um, you know, that's actually under a different uh, department than me. I mean, I know. I, I knew I, that, but I yeah, thought maybe I you know, could tell us. I know. Um, you know, obviously the program is still there. Um, I really don't know. Right now, they're not. I think because of the COVID, I do know that they're they're leaving. You know, they're. I don't think they're going into people's homes and stuff. I I do know that they're they're not providing the same types of of uh, equipment and the different things that 
they used to do because of, of funding and everything. But it's you know it's still around, and Tammy Murdoch would be the person that you would need to contact. Oh, okay. okay. Um, in the office, uh, and that you know if you need the number, it's uh, 304-760-7166. Okay. Are there any hands raised, uh, Randy? Not that I can see, so... Okay. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you. You're uh, quite welcome. For, for your remarks. And our next speaker is here now. So, um, next we are going to hear from Paul Schrader. <laughs> I think that's the right way to say it. <laughs> you got it right. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Paul is a senior advisor. I hope he's going to tell us what all this means for strategy and policy at IRA. Um, he has extensive experience in policy advocacy, particularly in the blindness field. His current focus is helping to enhance policy support for IRA as a valuable tool for accessing visual information and obtaining interpretation of visual images or activities. And I, I want to say this, and, and Paul may or may not remember, but I remember Paul a long time ago when he was a student at Batavia and we were athletes at the same time. And anyway, I was at Overbrook. Uh, so that was a long time ago. Wow. I <laughs> I remember wrestling Overbrook and uh, trying to think who I wrestled, but I, he had well, a what, That wasn't me. You didn't wrestle me. No, it wasn't me. you. Uh, well, at least not then, right? Girls wrestle now. But, that's uh, true. That is true. And but, I, if, if they did at the time, I would have wrestled. Well, that's right. Uh, <laughs> this guy had a reputation, and, and I was really intimidated, and, and I beat whoever it was. And so it was a, okay. a good moment for me. It's, thanks for letting me to go back there for just a minute. <laughs> okay. So you're on, Paul, and thank you for joining us and for giving up your time. So happy to be here, and sorry I was running a little bit late this morning. I will say if I had been more attentive to the calendar, I might have – asked uh, someone else from Ira, not because I don't love being here, but uh, because this is uh, Rosh Hashanah and uh, Lashana Toba for anybody who observes. Um, so normally I would be taking today, but uh, I, I had agreed to do it. And I said, you know, that's, I, I, I've got to, I've got to meet my commitment. So I'm so glad to be with you guys and uh, happy to be here talking about Ira. You ask what my title means and I've never been very good with titles. I've always said what I want is a title that just says, you know, director of stuff. Um, so I can do anything that needs to get done, which is kind of the way it is at IRA. Um, we do it all. And uh, I think for those of you who have been with us for a while, um, you've seen IRA go through some changes. Uh, we've we've worked, we had glasses for a good long while, and we really thought glasses were going to be the right answer. And for some people, they are a, a camera equipped glass. Um, but for a lot of people, uh, they determined that the glasses were not something they really needed. They were perfectly happy to use their smartphone. Um, we've had some different pricing and, and minute packages over the years. So let me just break down where we're at today. IRA, A-I-R-A, for anybody who hasn't uh, had it spelled out, is a smartphone app at its core. And it at its core, while we say we're a technology services company, and we are, we're really about connecting humans and about connecting those of us who are blind or low vision with uh, trained sighted agents who can handle some of the visual information that 
is is either difficult or, or or impossible to get a hold of as a blind person. And and do that. Handle the the information. Get us the information we need, and then let us be on our way. Um, I always like to say, especially among a group of blind people, uh, when we talk about this, I think we've all had the experience of asking a, a stranger, a passerby for help, and then they want our life story. Well, how'd you get blind? And what do you do? And, and it's like, you know, look, I really don't have time to give you my life story today. I just wanted to know what the address was that I'm standing in front of. And so uh, the great thing about Ira is you don't have to share your life story. Uh, in fact, you shouldn't. Um, because those agents have other work they need to get on to do to help the next person along the way. So, uh, so Ira is a smartphone app. So if you have a smartphone, you can download Ira and you can use it uh, really immediately, uh, which is the next thing I want to get to. Um, we've cu- had a couple of different strategies for how to help people get access to Ira. Now, Ira is a, uh, a, a commercial company. And that's relatively important, but what's more important is that our agents are paid. Uh, and so we, we have to have some way to pay for those agents. And we pay them because we take their work seriously. We think that they're providing a, a valuable service and one that's worth, um, worth paying them for and worth training them for. And so they do get paid, and so we need to figure out how to pay them. So IRA from its inception has been a paid service. Uh, individuals subscribe to Minutes. But we've tried some different strategies uh, because we know that that is not workable for everybody, uh, as we know in this community. So we've tried two things. One is we've tried to get uh, businesses and community organizations and government services to cover the cost where it seemed um, uh, that it made sense to do so. And so, you know, we've had companies like Walgreens and Target agree that if you're in their stores uh, or in Target's case, I think on their website, you can use IRA and uh, you can use IRA on their dime as it were, because otherwise uh, for them, it's a, it's a way of expanding their customer service. Sure. They're still willing to give you customer service in the store, but if you want to use IRA to shop yourself, to find products yourself, to compare and do price compare and information compare, uh, they want you to do that. So, so we've done that strategy of, of asking businesses or transportation agencies to cover IRA or universities to cover IRA. The other thing we've done is offer free five-minute calls. And we started that uh, a year ago in uh, August 2019, where we started offering free five-minute calls. And the idea was to be able to do short tasks for people who maybe couldn't afford IRA. Uh, but if they had something quick they needed to do, maybe sort out the mail, uh, maybe check the prescription or, or over-the-counter labels to make sure they were taking the right medicines, um, maybe pick up after the dog, whatever it might be. All these things that, uh, uh, that we run across as blind people. Um, we've recently changed that five-minute offer slightly because we recognized that it was uh, we, we were un- unfortunately not able to sustain providing that much, that much minutes. As our, our CEO put it in a letter to, uh, to the IRA community, uh, over 50% of the minutes we were providing were uncompensated, not just the five, obviously the five minute free, but of all the minutes, if you looked across the IRA board, over 50% of the minutes were not being paid for. And so we knew we couldn't, we couldn't keep paying our agents. We couldn't keep the service moving forward. So we've changed that. So it's one five minute call a day, recognizing that is not a lot, but it is a little bit like having 911. So it's an emergency if you, if you need it, 
you can download IRA and you can use it for that, that one free call. And of course, you can also use it where uh, locations have happened to cover the cost. Now, pricing. Uh, we've, we've played around with that a little bit too. Uh, and we'll probably play around with it some more, trying to figure out what, what, what we can sustain, what works as a company. You know, the company is uh, six, will be six years old soon. Um, and the service has been around for about four years in terms of experience. So we're, we're beginning to get some pretty good experience of how people use IRA and what the number of minutes people seem to, to likely use. So we'll, I don't know what it'll be, but we may look at pricing again next year. But we've tried to shape price plans as best we could uh, to meet different needs. So people who, who knew they could afford more minutes and wanted more minutes, we have plans that uh, range as high as $199 a month for 300 minutes. But for people who can't afford very many minutes but, but want more than those free five minutes once a day, we have plans that are $29 for 30 minutes a month. What we've also done in honor of our um, consumer partnerships with both ACB and NFB is to offer members a lower price plan. So consumer organization members can get a 30 minute plan for uh, basically 20 bucks a month. Um, and a, the $99 plan will get you extra minutes if you're, if you want to sign up for the ACB or NFB plan, $99 normally gets you 120 minutes a month, but on the uh, consumer plans, it gets you 140 minutes a month. So that's some things that we've tried to do. The other thing that we've done recently is to offer easier access to and more bundles of add-on minutes. So if you, whatever plan you're in, uh, and you have to be in a plan to, to do this, uh, e e even the $20 a month plan, um, we know that sometimes your needs change, right? I mean, we, we, we might need IRA for a long uh, activity. Maybe we're taking a special vacation. We know we want to have a little more time with an IRA agent to uh, investigate the area where we are. And that case, uh, we've, we've tried to make it easier to get add-on minutes so that um, you can do that and you can kind of flex up and down as you need to. Uh, and then that is the last thing I'll say, which is, we don't ask for contracts from people. Uh, we try to make it easy to get in and out, um, change plans or leave plans if you need to. We know, again, we know people's needs and situations change. So there's no commitment beyond the month. You pay for a monthly plan. You sign up for a monthly plan, but you can stop it at any point. You can increase it at any point and you can decrease it at any point. So um, that's that's the very quick uh, wrap on IRA. And in case you're interested, we're now available in the in the UK as well as Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and of course the US. Now, I don't know if we're doing questions, but um, I would be happy yeah, to take some. We, we we have time for questions. All right, Alt Y, Option Y, under the More button, or Star Nine on the telephone. Oh, there's one. <laughs> Or we could talk about our athletic careers if you want. Yeah, no, we, we do have one raise hand. <laughs> right, we have Carrie Muth. Hi. With the different plans, do the unused minutes roll over to the next month? They do not. Uh, we get this question a lot. Um, I know in some ways it would be certainly easier if they did, but we found that, that managing that was uh, more hassle than it was gain for both sides, really. Uh, we had a lot endless questions from consumers about what happened to minutes. I thought I had minutes. 
turned out they used up minutes. I mean, so it just became uh, too much of a challenge for both sides of the, of the equation. I, I know it comes up a lot. I know it's something that I'm always agitating about internally saying, let's look at some, some strategies here to see what we can do. Uh, but at the moment, uh, no, no rollover minutes. Thank you. The other thing I'd say, uh, while somebody's thinking about whether they have a question, we're always interested in if you have some places that you you think would be good for this, it's called IRA access when a business like Target or Walgreens buys IRA for their location or facility. Um, we would love to work with you if you have a contact um, that you want to try to introduce IRA to. You can always show them, and, and um, I, I know we still offer extra minutes if you're doing a demonstration. I want to say it's a 15-minute. Um, so if, you're, if you call up the agent and say, look, I'm demoing, and it really has to be a legitimate demo. This is not a, you know, this is not a way to get extra 15 minutes. I, I know people will try anything, and, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but it really is an opportunity to try to demo IRA for a place that you think uh, you would like to see it. And that could also be a campus. It could be uh, a uh, institution of some sort, a, a hospital or a store, a transportation agency. Uh, we've we've done a couple of agencies where we've equipped the bus lines, um, me- meaning that we essentially, if you're on the bus line, you can use IRA to find bus stops, find out where you are, et cetera, get route information. Um, that hasn't worked. Honestly, it's worked well, but it hasn't been taken up as much as I'd like to see. And I hope someday that'll change because I think transit's a really good use case. We have um, some so hands. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, so uh, first is Fran. And uh, Fran, I see you've got yourself unmuted there. So, Yeah. Um, hi, Paul. Um, I have a question about the, the purchase minutes, the extra minutes. Um how do they come in bundles? How much? And if you still have, okay, so I have a 30, I have a 30 minute plan and I know I'm getting low and I'm down to like 10 minutes or something. And I know I'm going to need more and I purchase more minutes. Do those 10 minutes get used first or the, or the newer purchase minutes? How does that work? Yeah, good questions. And um, the IRA people, if they listen to this, are going to be chagrined because I don't exactly. Basically, the bundles are a dollar a minute and it's twenty five fifty. and there might be another one. Um, I don't remember if we have a higher level bundle. Um, but I, but on, the, on the use of minutes, the plan minutes get used first. And then the minutes you buy are yours as long as you have a plan. So, you, you know, if you don't use them all uh, in a month, you keep them for the next month. If you don't use them all in the year, you, you keep them. Um, okay, that's what I was wondering because I was talking to one of the customer service people a while back, and she said, "Oh no, those minutes get used first, and then if you don't use them, you lose them." And I'm like, "That's not what they're advertising." I no, was no, the your your plan minutes go first. So in your scenario, your ten minutes will get used, and only then would you start dipping into your. Uh, let's say you bought a fifty minute bundle. And if you only use 30 minutes of that and you get your new monthly plan, those new plan minutes will get used before the rest of your bundle gets used, if that makes sense. So those minutes that I purchased extra will stay until I use them up? They're yours as long as you have a plan. Okay, thank you. That clears it up. Okay. Thank you. Okay, next is Agnes. Morning. Uh, I have two questions. So has Ira quit making the glasses 
you know, with the camera? Yeah, I kind of quickly went over that, uh, and I didn't really specifically say, yes. So we stopped uh, development and support for the Horizon Glass and hardware back in uh, April. So that in uh, beginning of April of this year, uh, we stopped that because we, we were having trouble updating that hardware any further. That was one thing. And the second thing is that people just weren't using the glasses as much as as we thought they would and as they indicated they would. People want glasses and they want that hands-free. But um, I think most of us tend, because we have the smartphone always available in our pocket, purse, whatever, uh, we just pull that out and use it if we need to call Ira for something and we don't always think about the glasses. So we're still looking for opportunities and we're always interested. I think someday we'll have a partnership, but I don't think we're going to develop our own glasses again. That was a was an expensive and probably not, you know, we're not a hardware company. And, and if you're not a hardware company, you probably don't do it that well. And the next question I have is, are there any restrictions on types of things that Ira prefers people not ask the agents to read for them, you know, like real confidential documentation and stuff like that? We, we don't place any restriction. The agents are held to a very specific confidentiality requirement. They cannot share anything they do. What we do say in the terms of service is obviously you can't do anything illegal with your IRA agent. And there are some, some sort of gray areas around things that might be considered uh, vulgar, lewd, et cetera. Uh, if it's a legitimate visual information activity or interpretation activity, if your agent's uncomfortable, they may say, I'm uncomfortable with this. Can I ask for you to um, get back on the platform for another agent? Um, you can, and, and by the way, that goes both ways. If you find an agent maybe isn't working to your satisfaction or doesn't seem to know the issue, you might say, uh, is there another agent available who might be able to be more, more, more able to handle this task? But generally speaking, there's nothing agents can't do or won't do uh, that involves access to visual information or visual interpretation of information. Thank you. All right. Next is Musi. My question is about the agents. Um, are they only English speaking? I mean, if I go to Europe or whatever, will I encounter an, an agent with a, another language? Um, our eight, we only offer the service in English. We do have many bilingual agents. And so, what you can, this isn't what this wasn't your question, but I'm just going to answer this part. If you are uh, needing to access information or if you speak another language more fluently, um, particularly Spanish, I mean, honestly, that's the, that's the language that would be most commonplace for our agents, you might be able to request an agent who speaks Spanish uh, in that case. Now, for, for what you might, the other thing you might have been asking is if you're in another country and you're right. using IRA, which you can do. Uh -huh. um, as long as you understand that, that, you know, you've got to figure out the data and stuff like that. Um, they will do their best to try to translate signs or information in a foreign language, but honestly, they're going to probably run it through something like Google translate. So it's, you know, it's as good or, or not good as that's going to give you, but it is, they will certainly take their best shot. Well, I think it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. Thank you. I do too. And thank you. I, I, um, our agents are amazing people. I, I love the story of the agent who uh, somebody was in Estonia and she offered to try to translate the bus schedule. And he said, I don't need you to. He's like, she's like, no, this is a challenge. I want to do it. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the kind of agents we have, even they'll go above and beyond. Um, and they're really just superb individuals um, who, the, the other thing that I like to stress about IRA agents, because there is there are a couple of other apps where you can get volunteer assistance, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're great apps. Be My Eyes, for example, is a terrific app. But what our agents are, first of all, they're trained to work with and provide information to people who are blind, and they just get better with time because they do this you know, for their entire shift with IRA, whatever that – and usually it's a part-time shift, but, I mean, they're spending their time all the time getting better – if somebody's a volunteer with a program, they may do a few calls uh, a year, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to get the uh, keep refreshing their skills. So it's one of the other kind of advantages of IRAs. Not only are they trained, but they they just get more and more experienced. Right. Thank you. Okay. Next is Carrie. Hello again. Um, Hi. So I have two questions. One is I've heard before that you can use IRA when you're working um, at no cost. And I know you mentioned the agents with the confidentiality. Does that meet like HIPAA requirements for people who work with very sensitive information? Yeah, good question. I'll take the second one first. Our agents are not HIPAA certified. So if you are someplace where uh, you would need to have somebody who's HIPAA certified to work with the information you're using, if it's your health information, you can do whatever you want. Uh, but if you're working, with, if you if it's a job related situation and you're working with health information and it requires HIPAA certification, our agents are not. Um, on, on the first point, um, if your employer has paid for IRA, that is true. What you said, in other words, it's 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 free to you. It's your employer's cost. It's an accommodation, and many employers do provide IRA as an accommodation. We do, though, offer a service that is for people who are seeking a job and I should have, I should talk about this more. We don't talk about it as much as we should anymore. Um, we offer a, you can do a 30 minute um, uh, uh, time with an agent. If you're, if you're seeking a job. So if you're reviewing uh, job sites, if you're trying to make sure your resume looks okay, going through an employment application, even picking out your clothes for an interview or something like that. Um, all of those would be considered relevant for our, job it's called the job offer uh job find offer and you could uh tell your agent that that's what you're doing and as long as it's really true um that you're actually looking for a job and and you're actually doing job you know related uh, searching um feel free to use ira for that as well and and whether or not you have a plan you can do that well my trick is i help other people find jobs i'm a job developer so it probably wouldn't work for my job well, it, 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 only if you needed IRA uh, and your employer wanted to cover for, for certain things you might have to do. Uh, I mean, I could certainly see where IRA could come in handy for you, but uh, I hear you. Uh, but but do tell your clients, though. Make sure they know. Oh, I will definitely. Thank the you. The job find service is available to them. Thank you very much. And one of the ways you can do that, because a lot of that work is done on the computer, IRA does have something called, we, we access something called TeamViewer. And if you are working on a computer, uh, on a website or a piece of software that you're having a struggle with, um, the agent can actually remote into your computer with your permission through this app called TeamViewer and can run your computer just as if they're you. And then they leave the computer, you shut down TeamViewer and everything is back to, to normal. Um, for those of you who are JAWS or Vispero product users, if, if you run into a problem with your software, if it crashes unexpectedly, 
uh, but you know your computer is still functional, you can try to get an IRA agent to help you um, get out of that crash. And that's a that's a free service that Vespero covers for the unlikely situations where their product has actually caused you trouble. Now, if it's a website that JAWS isn't reading, that is not a that is not a, an acceptable use of the Vespero offer. That's not Vespero's problem. That's the web developer's problem. Great, thank you. Yep. Okay, and we have no more hands. Okay. This um, is Glenn, I did have a question. Okay, go ahead, Glenn. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, thank you um, for clarifying the JAWS offer there. That that was a little confusing. Um, and the other question I had is, would there ever be um, an option for maybe not necessarily an unlimited minutes, but a so many um, like 10 minute uh, or 15 minute uh, option um, calls per day, like three or four or something like that for a price? We have done a lot of thinking and, and are still interested in people's feedback on options like that. Um, honestly, we, you know, we've even talked about, is there a, uh, a relatively low dollar, you know, almost like a prime type thing, you know, where people would pay, you know, I don't know, 10 bucks a month or something to have access to something like you described. I think, you know, these are things we're still interested in. We, we want to figure out ways to make the service more available and to make sure people have a reasonable access to it while making sure that, you know, it's viable in terms of keeping the company afloat and, and right. agents paid. Um, and then on the other end, unlimited, we did launch, as some will recall, we did launch with an unlimited uh, price plan. And uh, we found that that just, again, almost kind of like rollover minutes. It wasn't working that well for us and it wasn't working that well for most individuals. Most individuals who paid for it didn't really need it. As it turned out, they weren't using any more than, um, you know, a normal uh, one of our monthly plans. And a couple, but a couple were, and they were maybe using it a little more than they, than they, than they needed to. <laughs> um, right. I, I can... I'm thinking of some people that could certainly benefit that are in the lower uh, socioeconomic bracket, but that definitely need need the service. But I could also see where some people would um, abuse the service. One of the things, and I I I don't I want to be mindful of your guys' schedule, but one of the things that I know, uh, you know, we at the beginning of my bio, we talked about my trying to shape policy to help uh, support IRA. And a, a big part of that is to try to figure out how to make sure we can get IRA into hands of people who can't afford it. And I'm really curious about looking at things like modifications to Lifeline, which is the, the broadband and, and phone access plan for low-income individuals, um, as well as payers like vocational rehabilitation um, or community agencies um, and, and services for low-income individuals to make, because because that is a group of people who, as we know, um, probably need a support like IRA, possibly even more than someone like I do, um, who, who has a little more income and a little more facility to, to get services that I need. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm still hopeful we can figure some things out. We haven't made a lot of progress in that area yet. Um, we've certainly found some receptivity 
to wanting to cover IRA. I mean, people love IRA. When I show policymakers IRA, they're just blown away, right, with with what this can do, what this could mean for people to have on-demand efficient access to visual information whenever we need it. Uh, And so I'm confident we'll find some solutions that will help. And in the meantime, the best we can do is to try to keep working with communities, businesses, et cetera, to to, uh, make it as available as we can. We've got a couple of grocery stores currently, Myers and Wegmans, we're trying to get some of the larger chains uh, so people can have that out, that, that access. Okay. Well, Paul, thank you so much. I, I'm glad you were able to, to work it out to, to join us. And uh, we certainly thank you for your time and, and what a wonderful service Ira has been and will continue to be. Last year at our convention, uh, we had the free access, and it actually was wonderful because some of our people had never used it before. And so they got to, you know, use it and, and see it in use. And uh, so that was that was a wonderful service you all offered last well, year. Well, that is terrific. And I will say back in my, my first trip when I worked for the American Council of Blind was out to Beckley WV. I, I, I remember it. I was there. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. That was a great comp. That was a great convention. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> all right. Thank Thanks, you. Everybody. Thank you. Have, have a good rest of the weekend. All right, Glenn, it's time for a door prize. So wake Siri up and. All right. Siri, pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 47. Number 47. 47. And that is Debbie Rozier, who is from Allentown, Pennsylvania, kind of my old stomping ground. And she is going to receive a $25 uh, Visa card uh, donated by our secretary, Debbie Kane. Okay, uh, let me mark that off here so we don't call that number again. <laughs> um, okay, and let's do one more. Okay. Siri, pick a number between 1 and 73. A random number between 1 and 73 is 60. Number Say, 60. 60, okay. Six zero. Yeah, got it. Um, and that is Susanna Ment from Virginia, Christianburg, Virginia. And I will have to check and see what she's going to win. And that's in my other file. Um, give me one second. Uh, I believe it's a gift card. Uh, okay. So Did you just say Christiansburg, Virginia? Christiansburg, Virginia. Yes. Well, that's near my old stomping grounds. Oh, okay. My great grandmother was from uh, Eggleston. Okay. Well, which is right there near Blacksburg. Okay. Um. All right. So, Suzanne is going to win a twenty-dollar Domino's gift card. I, I hope they have Domino's in that area. I do believe they do. Okay. <laughs> well. Anyway. Um. Okay. So. It is time for our next speaker, and I am going to introduce her, and I'm really looking forward to this presentation. This was the one that was called Hay is for Horses, Clay is for Potter, and she wasn't sure that that title was really going to meet the presentation, but it was a catchy title anyway, so whatever. Um, So, Marsha Springston Dillon is uh, one of our Mountain State Council board members. Um, 
And she is owner and operator of Wake, that's W-A-K-E, Robin Like the Bird, Gallery, um, specializing in handcrafted gifts. In addition to her hand-thrown pottery, the gallery offers stained glass, woven placemats and rugs, uh, wooden utensils, uh, uh-oh, Blanco glass, and a variety of old-fashioned toys. Oh, cool. That'd be neat. Um, being located in rural community is a lovely place to work and keep horses, which are my her passion. Um, and so Marsha actually can go into more detail because I'm not a horse person, and um, she's been in some horse shows, and, and I'm hoping she because it just said she left the meeting, and so I'm hoping she comes back. <laughs> okay, Marcia lives, as she indicated in her uh, little bio, in a very rural area, and as most of us know, um, sometimes Internet service in those areas is can be sporadic. So you know what? We'll just switch, because Jeff Tom is here. As early as it is in California, I, I don't know if he's had his coffee yet or whatever. So we're going to let Jeff Tom go if he's ready. Jeff, is that okay with you? If you can, sure. Okay, good. So, so I'm not a coffee drinker, but my mouth is watering in anticipation of today, not because of what I'm going to talk to you about, because of that wonderful ice cream I had last year in West Virginia, and I wish I could have that again. But this will have to do. I, I wish I wish we could go get some of that too. That yeah. that was awful good. Um, so Jeff, I either didn't get your little bio thing, or else I kind of misplaced it. But I, I I'm just gonna just go off the top of my head. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but Jeff is here, um, and and I really appreciated Jeff. He he put out a. a uh, an announcement on the um, ACB leadership list last week with all these state conventions coming up. And he said he would be willing to talk about, um, you know, services for seniors and, 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 you know, the, he, he really, in his little title, put it, it's a battle we must win. And, and there really is a battle out there for providing um, equipment and, and services for seniors who are uh, losing vision. So Jeff is a member of the ACB Board of Directors and has been for a while. He was vice president at one time of ACB. Jeff is also the board liaison to the West Virginia affiliate, and so he was our convention speaker last year. That's why he recalled the wonderful ice cream that we had. Um, So Jeff lives in Sacramento, California, Um, and so it's pretty early for Jeff, but he sounds wide awake, so... Jeff, if you are ready, we are ready to hear what you have to share. Absolutely. Thank you, Donna. And it's good to be back, even virtually, with all of you folks from West Virginia. I I so much enjoyed my experience there last year. Except for that crazy little plane flight from Morgantown to Pittsburgh, which was a little interesting. Other than that, everything was great. Um, So... I am president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which is the ACB affiliate um, on aging. But before I get into that specifically, I want to make a few remarks generally about um, 
services and essentially as seniors with vision loss. Um, approximately 80% of our population, um, that being people who are, you know, significantly visually impaired, be they totally blind or um, if they have some residual vision, are people who are 50 years and over. And that means essentially that they are the core, not only of ACB, but of, you know, blind and low vision population generally. So if that population is not receiving the services they need, then we, in my opinion, are really failing. And I don't mean we in the specific to ACB. I mean, we generally as a society. So... I think it's pretty clear that um, the services and training and technology that this population needs isn't there by and large. The one primary program that we do have to meet these services is the older individuals who are blind program. And that program it was estimated a few years ago, is meeting 3% of the national need. Now, there hasn't been any additional federal money for that program since that estimate came out. But every year, as all of you know, the numbers of people who are blind and low vision 50 years and over keep increasing. So that 3% number is high. We occasionally have a few states that supplement it with a little bit of extra state money. But by and large, the, the types of home and community-based services that people with other disabilities get, which are often funded by private insurance and by Medicare and Medicaid, are seldom funded um, for our folks. Occupational therapy, which some people can use, is funded, but most other services with very few exceptions, are not. Um, there are occasions where states have done some things, like the state of Montana, for example, you can get orientation and mobility fund. No, Braille, sorry, it's Braille that's funded. And I think there's another state or two, perhaps it's Louisiana, where you can get orientation and mobility funded uh, under Medicaid. Um, they've gotten specific waivers for those things. But for the most part, um, public and private insurance does literally nothing for the services we need, like, you know, self-advocacy services, like technology training, all the array of services, like peer support, that, that seniors with vision loss who are transitioning into a new way of life for them and who fear not only the isolation, but basically being able to have the life they once had um, just aren't able to uh, obtain. There's nowhere for them to go um, for the most part. So that leads into the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. We need to do a much better job of educating our society um, from the national level to the state level to the local level at the need for these services. You know, everybody knows how important it is to serve people, to serve seniors, especially with dementia, with Alzheimer's disease, etc. It's sort of a household um, name and understanding of, of the need for that. They ought to know the same about services to seniors with vision loss, but people don't. 
I was involved this year heavily in California's effort to um, come up with an aging master plan. And that master plan includes people with disabilities. It isn't out completely yet, but, but we've been working on it for months. And I was the one blindness voice on that, on one of the subcommittees. And, and, and so there was really little besides myself that was sort of giving the pitch for people who are blind or who had low vision. And I was, even I was shocked and I shouldn't have been at how little people realized uh, about not only the need for these services, but what services could be made available if they were only funded. Um, and that's essentially true throughout the country. So the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is um, our affiliate that will hopefully do something about increasing the knowledge and ability to provide these services. Um, on the good side, um, in the last two years, we've increased our membership, and I want to give um, thanks to a lot of folks, to um, Nynetta Gardner and to, um, and to my treasurer, Kathy Gerhardt, among many others, um, for making this happen. We've increased our membership from 24 to, well, what it's probably likely to be at the beginning of next year is about 80. And that's a really uh, amazing increase, I think. And it, and it shows that the need exists. But just increasing our membership is not um, important to me unless we do something with the members that we have. We should have two or 300 members easily. We should be one of the most important affiliates in ACB. But unless we make our affiliate relevant and worthwhile, you know, what good are the numbers? So what are some of the reasons to have um, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss? Well, let me start sort of at the national level and then work my way down. Um, one of the things that we have been doing, and it started um, before I was president, um, John Huffman was very active in it, our immediate past president, is we've been working with aging initiatives. Um, it used to be um, under the leadership of the American Foundation for the Blind, and now it's under the leadership of the Vision Serve Alliance. And along with um, the ACB Advocacy and Governmental Affairs Director, Clark Grassfall, I'm very active um, on behalf of AAVL in terms of um, providing input and information on ways we can, you know, generate more education and understanding of the need for funding um, for our services. And a lot is going on to produce data to produce sort of white papers to produce documents that we can use to help funding. Um, but at the state level, and I think this is really very exciting, we are starting to see um, various ACB affiliates look into having um, AAVL state affiliates. And California is basically done with all that they have to uh, do in order to get their affiliation completed. Oregon has already developed the constitution for their affiliate. Other states are thinking about it. And so the question arises, well, so what? What's, you know, why have an AAVL affiliate? Um, and, and, and I'll tell you why not to have one. The reason not to have one is you shouldn't just have an affiliate for the sake of having one. The, the affiliate should be there to do something. 
And, and this is why I think state affiliates can be so important. Um, in Oregon, one of the problems that they really want to focus on is getting to people in nursing homes because they feel that the people who are, you know, blind or low vision that are in Oregon nursing, nursing homes are, you know, mistreated. They don't have the services they need and they need a lot of assistance. That's one local problem that they want to deal with. In California, one of the things that we've talked about is um, maybe accessing some mental health funding to use to provide more peer support and other similar service, mental health services to our seniors with vision loss. I don't know what the, you know, what the, the, the greatest need um, is in West Virginia, but I'm sure you guys do. I don't know what it is in Georgia, but I'm sure the Georgians do. So if we establish these kind of state affiliates, that gives you an inroad to go to your um, legislature, to go to your aging community, to go to your, you know, um, independent living centers, um, the adult, the aging and disability resource connection um, community, wherever aging services, the senior centers, wherever aging services are, are provided or funded and have, you know, and have some direct communication with them on the problems that you have identified for your state. And I think that that could be one of the greatest areas uh, of involvement and, and, of, and of impact that AAVL can ultimately do. So I would really encourage whether it's, you know, large in numbers or small in numbers isn't so much the key as it is having some dedicated folks who are really, you know, uh, concerned with having, um, you know, better services and education and information about the need for that people have who are seniors of vision loss in West Virginia and throughout the country. So, um, you know, I encourage you to consider either joining, if you haven't done so already, as a member of AAVL, or even creating your own state affiliate, um, because I, I think that these affiliates can, over time, and everything is going to take time. We, we're starting so far behind many other disability groups when it comes to these things, but that doesn't mean we can't catch up, and that doesn't mean over the next decade or two we can't you know, imprint upon society the needs that people with seniors with vision loss have. So I've left a lot of time for questions. I do wear other hats in ACB. So if it's any kind of advocacy question, I'm glad to at least, you know, take it up. Um, but I, I especially am interested in questions that you might have with respect to, um, you know, senior issues. Um, that's what we've spoken about today. And so if anybody has questions, I'd be absolutely thrilled to take them and answer them uh, as best I can. Uh, Jeff, this is Donna. I know we have a hand raised or, or, or two, but um, I here in the Romney area, you know, I, I get a lot of calls from maybe not necessarily seniors, but certainly adults who are losing vision. And, so, and many of them are seniors. Sure. And whether um, they're seniors or not, doesn't matter. It, well, that's I mean, right, because they're going to be Anyway, so um, anyway, so uh, I had presented to my chapter because I, I just have this passion, you know, to try to help these people, which I am a member of AAVL, 
Um, so yes, you are. Yes, I am. <laughs> and hopefully now that I'm retired, I can be, become a little more active. Um, but anyway, uh, so they they sort of shared the passion. We were going to start a support group for the Romney area. Well, <laughs> um, so we actually did schedule a meeting. However, because at that time uh, we were all working and it had to be in the evening. Well, that that's a problem. You know, for many seniors, they can't drive at night. And of course, West Virginia is so rural. And anyway, um, so I, I actually one person did contact me. Um, to you know that was planning to attend but it was getting dark early so i said well um in the spring let's revisit it well then COVID came along um so now that i'm retired um i i plan to try to figure out how to get something started here in in the romney area during the day um and and i do have support like from our lions club to assist with that and, and stuff uh, our commitment from our lions club so I, that's for right now, that was the easiest way that I knew of, or I shouldn't say easiest, but the best way that I knew of to really try to reach people uh, when it's so rural. I, it's hard. <laughs> so that's great. And and let me sort of, you've caused me to remember something I, um, I'm i going to get, you know, beaten up if I don't, uh, because I almost forgot it. Um, one of the things AVL is doing under the leadership of one of our former board members, um, Sandy Traino from Florida, is that we are starting peer support calls as part of the ACB community call series. And they, if, I think they're going to be every Tuesday at 1 Eastern. And so um, I would encourage, and I had to miss the first one because I had actually an aging master plan meeting to go to um, in California, virtually so um but um I, I encourage people to try those out um sandy is one of these folks who lost her vision fairly um fairly late in life and who really understands what adults go through and you know she uh has come back to you know be a leader and, and a fighter for um the needs of people with uh, of adults with vision loss um, there's also um, a series of ACB community calls that um, Terry Pacheco from Maryland has that takes that take place Thursdays at four o'clock, and AAVL has sponsored a few of them. Um, we had one, for example, on adult orientation and mobility and how that sort of differs from what is taught to children. Um, we are gonna have one in a couple weeks, I believe. I think maybe it's the 31st on, um, you know, having some gerontologists. No, I'm sorry. Uh, check that on, on senior centers and how we can better have them serve the needs of persons with vision loss. One of our speakers actually operates a senior center in New York City that um, caters primarily to people with vision loss, although definitely not exclusively. But as we know, most senior centers know little, if anything, about how best we can be sort of integrated into that community. And, and you know, people who are blind or who have low vision will go to a center, senior center. I don't know how it is in West Virginia, but in many states, and they'll just sort of sit there. They, they won't have any, you know, Braille or large print cards to play and they won't have, you know, they, they can't play the games and, 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 you know, so it's just, 
you know, that they, they're just sort of not part of the program, so to speak. So, um, and we invite people, and I'll provide my email at the end of this, to send us other potential topics for these calls as well, because the more we can do with the ACB community, the more people we can reach. So thanks I just want to say sort of, one more thing. You know, and, oh, sorry, Jeff. I just want to say one more thing, and we have a couple of hands raised. Um, I, I think I'm going to uh, – you've planted that seed there in, in my mind, Jeff. I'm going to put the information about the various community calls, you know, for the, this population in our local newspaper because I, I don't know who's out there, um, you know, and people read. the Like we have a community column or, or I forget what it is, community right. events or something. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, we do have some hands raised. So, Randy. All right, Cassie Derhart. Hi. Um, well, I just wanted to say, um, first of all, what a great job Jeff is doing um, working in the trenches with the real, real problems that he's talked about. And um, also, uh, when you were talking, uh, you might have actually mentioned this since you since I put my hand up, but I was thinking, I just moved to Ohio a year, last year, and I, I don't exactly know what's going on in my area of Youngstown, but what I do know is there is absolutely nothing. It, I, I get the newspaper, and I read, like, in the health notes and so forth, and... Um, there's no kind of meetings or senior uh, for seniors, visually impaired, any of that stuff. And I thought, uh, and I went to the local county fair, asked about it, and they didn't have anything. But I think I'm going to go back to the area agency on aging and um, see if maybe that's a place to start and try to get something going um, for you know, to do with uh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. So I had that idea when you were talking, Jeff, and I don't know if that would be a place to start for other states as well. But Kathy, um, you make a, oh, sorry, go ahead and finish. Go ahead. That's, you, uh, that's you, all. You make a extremely great point. Um, in fact, um, I'm, I'm going to mention one of our members, who's sort of been an innovator in a whole number of areas, including running away to Mexico when he was 18 and without knowing Spanish and learning it. Larry Johnson from San Antonio oh. is an ex- is oh, an amazing yes. advocate and ACB member and a senior now um, for getting involved, um, whether it's your area agency on aging, and they're all over the country under the Older Americans Act. They have to be. And so they're going to be, if not in your town, they're going to be in your vicinity. Um, even your independent living center, potentially, whatever aging or disability venue you can come up with. If you can do a little education um, to the needs of seniors of vision loss and create maybe your own little group or or whatever, um, some areas have macular degeneration groups. Um, My wife, Leslie, and I are the two youngest members of ours, but we think it's really key to be in groups like that because we can, you know, sort of not only, you know, get to know people, but educate them at the same time as to the, the, the ACB, you know, um, you know, doctrines and, and you know, or, and advocacy types of issues. So, um, you know, 
try to get involved in your communities, even if it's not a traditional way that, that you normally would. So, Kathy, thanks for making a great point. Anybody else, Randy? Oh, we still have uh, Musi, if, she, if she's ready. I think I'm unmuted now. Y- you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jeff, I want to understand that 80% of all visually impaired or blind are over 50 years old in the United States? Well, that's a statistic I've seen, and it might, I, I don't, I can't say that that's absolutely correct, okay. but that is a, it, one statistic I've seen. And, you know, whether it's 45 or 47 or whatever, I, I don't, you know, I can't categorically say. Okay. But the vast, but, but the important thing to note is that the vast majority of our population are essentially not only are they older, but they're people who did, have never, who who lost their vision late in life. They're not the traditional ACB member. They're the member. They're the folks that we don't catch normally because oftentimes they are in in total denial and absolutely scared of losing their vision. Um, the word blind totally freaks them out. They never want to be labeled as blind oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so they're a population that we have a long way to go in terms of capturing, but we ha- that's work we have to do. Okay, yes, thank you. Let me give you the uh, AAVO website and my email and phone number. Um, <clears throat> The AVO website has a uh, a PayPal link on it for, or, or Kathy can send out dues forms to anybody that wants one because she she is she is just an incredible treasure. I, I got to say, um, the website it's long but it's there and it's got a lot of information on it. It's aavl blind seniors dot org. I'll repeat it aavl-blind-seniors.org and my email is js as in steven thom at comcast.net okay next is agnes um i have a, a comment i don't know what all states offer in this area but he, i live in greeley colorado and we have an agency called the curtis strong center and they're affiliated with Insight Skills for the Blind, and they just mainly do stuff with people who have low vision or who have macular degeneration. And one of the things that some of us have tried to encourage them to do is reach out more to people who are blind or who are totally blind. And they can buy stuff. Um, They can order people stuff but one of the things i tried to encourage them to do was to keep on hand supplies that we might need and for example i suggested that they keep on hand braille paper i called one day to see if they had any dimel tape they said no but we can order that for you we don't keep that on you know on in stock and the attitude seemed to be well people who have low vision you know don't need this and they could just provide a better service to us if they would keep some of this stuff so i suppose if i were to you know make a comment on that i'd say number one it's not surprising because there are centers that you know 
essentially are very supportive on one end or the other of the spectrum and, and not the other end. Um, and I, I think perhaps the best way of having an impact on such a center is to try and work to have somebody on the board or somebody in a, in a position of leadership that actually can, you know, get in there and, you know, have, and, you know, that can have a conversation with the executive director. Um, you know, every, every center is different, you know, and I have no idea about how this one works and who operates it or anything like that. But, but um, we need um, uh, throughout this country, the blind community needs to be more active on local agencies, private and public alike. So let's see if we can get Regina unmuted, and and then that'll be the last comment or question or whatever because we're we, we got to move on. It finally worked, Donna. I got to talk to you later. Okay, <laughs> Jeff. Oh my God. It, it's um, okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there was a, a lady the other day on one of the low vision calls uh, until she was almost hit by a bus. She did not want to admit that she was blind. So I know what you're talking about. Some people, they don't like to admit it. Um, you know, she was losing her sight and now nah, it was too too much for her. Um, how do you get on this ACB board and how many people are on this board? Thank um, you. For the, the, which board are you talking about? ABC, ACB. ACB, well, okay. it's... Yes, Donna is a board member. She can tell you. Yeah, that's okay. And and Regina brought up a wonderful point last night, Jeff. And and I think you'd be happy to hear this. She she asked you know a lot of questions about the board structure and and how all that you know works. And and that's just something we don't really with all these community calls that that's not something that's been out there, and, and it needs to be. Um, yeah, we need to make because uh, there have been times when we have had barely enough candidates yes. dredging them up, and yes. that's not the way a dem- democratic organization ought to be at all. Right. So, so yeah, what happens, Regina, is, is there's there's um, the six officers, like Dan had mentioned last night. One is the the past president, um, but the others are, are five, and, and they have they can serve up to three two year terms. Then there are 10 positions on the board and they can serve. There's, there's kind of like five and five. There's terms are sort of rotated so that there's not all 10 new people at one time. And, you know, it kind of staggers a little bit, but um, each board member can serve up to uh, two four year terms. And uh, we didn't have elections this year at the convention because we were not in person and we're not permitted to, have elections, um, you know, virtually like this, or at least at this point anyway. Um, so, and, and I, I think Regina, I think we're going to be having at, at, it's not going to be like tomorrow, but we will be organizing, a, you know, maybe a series of community calls to talk about how that all works and how you, um, you know run for the board and and that kind of thing i i just i was so happy you brought that up last night um and jeff i'm sure you would agree that it's oh absolutely it's a very timely you know issue and and so stay tuned and and you know i'll I'll keep you posted you know i i know your phone number now and i'll call you and you know that (laughs) and and if i can just add for 15 seconds that uh, aavl also has a board 
And if you are at our virtual, whether it's going to be virtual or not, we don't know yet, but at our convention next year, we will most certainly have elections, too. I mean, if ACB does, we're going to. I mean, I think we have to have elections somehow or other. Yeah, yeah. Some, um, somehow something's going to have yeah, to change, perhaps. Yeah. Or, yeah. And so um, our board also has opportunities. Uh, so, you know, don't forget about us. Right. Each affiliate has a board. Like, I'm I'm a member of the American uh, Association of Blind Teachers, and, and we have a, a board. Um, our Mountain State Council of the Blind, you know, has a board. California Council of the Blind has a board. And, and, and each affiliate, maybe board structure is a little different, partly because of the size of the affiliate and the, the nature of the affiliate. But I, and I am just so thrilled. And, and we, we're going to figure out how to best help people understand it all. Okay. Well, thank you very much, um, Donna, for inviting me. I love talking to West Virginians. Um, you know, I love the Blanco glass. I love the pottery. Wow. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, <laughs> especially at the last minute. I, I Jeff, I, I just appreciate you, your willingness and your availability to share with Not us pretty much at the Always. last minute. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So we do have Marsha. Um, and I am Marcia, here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Marcia had internet issues, and, and so she's going to talk to us from her phone. And, and um, But that's okay. Uh, so we already introduced you, Marcia. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I heard that. I just couldn't. Okay. Now, just, just relax and take a deep breath. Oh, uh, yeah. Share with us whatever Yeah, I is. was about to j- jump out of my socks there for a few minutes. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's all good. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Marcia Springston Dillon. And um, um, so we have in our title uh, both horses and pottery. And believe it or not, those do kind of tie together. Um, And uh, I I love doing things with my hands and I love physical activities. So uh, first I'll talk about the pottery. And um, I think Donna mentioned I have the Wake Robin Gallery here in Forest Hill. And um, I carry other Appalachian crafts in addition to to my pottery out here in the shop. And in the back, I have my work area, potter's wheels and slab rollers. And in the basement are the kilns and um, glaze-making materials and so forth. And um, let's see, to back up a little bit, I started out as a rehabilitation teacher counselor in Ohio which I did that for several years and wanted to go back to graduate school. I I was living in a city and traveling four counties, and it wasn't the lifestyle. Well, I couldn't have horses uh, while I lived in the city and so forth. So I I wanted to go into adapted physical education. And uh, so I quit my job, but as I was fooling around trying to work that out, I started taking pottery classes at a local art center, and I just fell in love with it. I had worked with clay as a child, but but never on a wheel, and that really, the wheel is like magic. Um, it's hard to learn, but <laughs> it's like magic, the way the piece grows in your hands. And uh, so I went to graduate school in ceramics and sculpture instead of <laughs> what I had planned. And then that was in the 70s, and that was the height of the, the craft uh, boom in the United States. People were interested in how things were woven and how uh, 
pottery was made and how glass was blown and and so forth and that has died down a little bit now but hopefully it'll come back but anyway so craft fairs and uh, there were a lot of places to sell handmade things and so um in 1984 I bought with a um, small business loan I bought uh, an old store building which had been a a general store in Forest Hill. They sold uh, cheese and boots and nails and had the post office here and so forth. And we remodeled it so there was a front room for the showroom and, and so forth and a back room that could, could be dirty and have a lot of clay in it. And it has the old wooden floors and um, it has some character, the shelves that used to hold canned goods and, uh, and so forth. It's, it lends itself well to to crafts and um Anyway, in my uh, studio, I teach classes in the wintertime when we can't be outdoors so much. And we have a lot of fun with the classes. Adult classes is what I enjoy. And um, we have a joke, you know, that you, you throw the wheel. The, yeah, well, first of all, the term for making a pot on the wheel is to throw. And I'm not sure where that comes from. You turn wood, but you throw pottery. Well, anyway, we say to the students, well, you throw it once on the wheel, and then if it collapses, you can throw it once again again, against the wall. And, um, of course, the walls look like that's happened because they get splashed with clay, but we don't really uh, do that. (laughs) But we have a lot of fun learning, and it is difficult to learn uh, the wheel because it takes even pressure with your hands and the right speed of the wheel and the right amount of water and um, that really drew me in. It was it was a challenge when I was you know first learning and it took me uh, quite a long time, maybe longer than than some others, to to learn the skills and get to um, a, you know a degree of of, of um, competency with it making lids and making everything fit and so it would be functional you know if 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 a mug's too heavy to pick up well it's not much use um and i i do enjoy making sculptural work but uh you know for maybe for a show or something a special event but um you know those pieces tend to be expensive and kind of exclusive but um, dinnerware and uh, plates and bowls and mugs, everybody needs those. And it's nice to hold something that, that somebody has made with their hands. People appreciate the textures and the shapes um, of, of things that are handmade and not stamped out uh, by a machine. And um, uh, a lot of times people come back to me, oh, they broke their favorite mug or their bowl. And they say, oh, do you remember what it was like? <laughs> Oh, well, not exactly, but they bring me pieces, you know, of it, the handle or whatever's left of it. You know, can you, can you kind of, you know, repeat this for me? Because it was my favorite um, piece. And a lot of times your mug is your, is your, you know, your close companion. You, it's the first thing that you hold in the morning. It's got your tea or coffee and you wrap your hands around it. It warms your hands and you kind of stroke it if there's something, a texture, you know, you sort of twiddle with it particularly Braille readers, (laughs) you know, we feel everything, every bump, everything. Um, So I try to design my pieces, um, well, my card says, pleasing to the hand as well as the eye, because a a lot of, you know, the population is sighted by by my pieces, so I have to think about color and design uh, too. 
So that's a lot of learning because I've been blind all my life. So, you know, color is something um, kind of obscure. But, you know, if you can study stars in outer space, I'm sure we can study color because so, we can't touch it either. Um, but then as far as um, the tactile designs, I um, like to impress things into the clay when it's still soft, like branches or, or uh, shells or different shapes that I've made. Uh, I'm sure you've all found an interesting cap, like on a, a hot sauce bottle. You know, it might be a, a tin-sided thing with a little twirl in the middle. Well, I can make a stamp out of that. Um, I can also decorate handles. You can make all kinds of interesting handles with some, a place to put your thumb, maybe a raised ridge down the middle of the handle, or um, if it's a lidded jar, like a cookie jar, I can make a, well, I could put even a little dog for the handle or um, a butterfly or something. Well, I've been known to put horses on handles, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but you can do a lot of things with tactile decoration, and you can alter the actual shape of the uh, the piece, it's round when it's on the wheel, and it might be bellied out in the middle. We use terms like they're people. You know, they have a lip, and they have a belly, and they have a neck. If it's a vase, it would have a long neck. It has a foot. That's what it stands on. And you can even have a raised foot and do something uh, kind of goofy there to have fun with. Um, uh, do we know how we're doing time-wise, <laughs> Donna? Uh, you're, you're okay. Go ahead. We were a little late. About halfway? Started, so. or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to say how this ties into horses. <laughs> when I was a child, my dad would um, buy me boxes of clay, and I, I would get in the basement, you know, where I could make a mess, and I would sculpt horses. And I don't, I can't tell you why I was born loving horses. Because when I was a child, of course, I didn't know what a horse looked like, but I could hear them on television, on the westerns and everything, you know, galloping. And, and then there was the one that you put a dime in in front of the the supermarket, you know, <laughs> yeah. you bounce up and down. Oh, I just love those, yeah. you know. <laughs> and uh, so when I was about seven, my older sister, who's blind as well, uh, one of her sighted friends said, oh, you know, we take riding lessons. You should come. And and at that point, my mom wasn't scared um, yet. Um so these were lessons with older horses that stomped around the ring, and, you know, they would get in the bushes and eat, and, you know, we'd have to struggle to steer them and everything. But uh, anyway, I progressed over the years from one instructor to another and finally got my own horse. And my mother would joke, she said, oh, if they had had Barbie horses back then, maybe maybe you, I could have gotten you focused on that and you wouldn't have wanted a real one. But <laughs> anyway, um, so... Um, my sister kind of lost interest in our horse because he was scary and uh, he was um, young and very spirited and uh, that's when my mom started getting pretty scared. But I took a lot of lessons and learned, um, made my own uh, way with um, figuring some things out because there was no therapeutic riding uh, back in the 50s. Um, so... And they weren't as worried about lawsuits either. So if your parents said it was okay, well, then it was okay, you know. And um, so I want to say that if someone's learning, you don't have to have uh, find a therapeutic writing program because you're blind. Uh, it's all right as a start. Um, if, you, if you have a big fear issue or maybe have some other 
um, complications, maybe a therapeutic writing program would be good. But mainly, you need someone concerned with safety, of course, and somebody willing to work with you. Now, a lot of times, an instructor will say, well, I don't know how to teach a blind rider. Well, there's no special way to teach a blind rider other than figuring out your orientation, what works for you and in in the particular situation. Um, Like any beginner, you you need a lot of help, and they can put you on a long rope, which is called a lunge line, and you can work in a circle around the instructor to learn your balance and get your strength in your torso because riding is very good for your core strength, and you learn to separate what we call separate the aids that you would do, you know, something with uh, one leg or the opposite hand on the other side. You would, you know, you you don't want to sit off to one side. You can make the horse's back sore and they get grumpy. Or you, if you lean forward, that might send the horse forward suddenly. Um, you know, we can get, I can get quite technical about it and I'll try not to. It's a dressage that I am interested in and do. And, um, it is considered the the high school of riding and um, can get quite technical, but you don't have to go to that extreme. Uh, pleasure riding is, is fine. Um, I was fortunate to be on the paraquestrian team in, uh, 90, in 1999 and uh, went to the world championships in Denmark. And that was really exciting. And um, we drew for horses, so we didn't ship our horses to... To Denmark, we we drew a horse and um, got 15 minutes to decide whether to draw for another. But anyway, it was um, you know, so you had to be pretty adaptable to um, to switching horses. Uh, if someone is interested, um, the horses we have now, we have three horses, and um, two are kind of semi-retired, and then the horse that I work with so much is a Andalusian draft cross. And um, he thinks he's quite gorgeous, and he really acts pretty, uh, you know, kind of arrogant about it. He's um, a, a 15.3 hands, if someone understands that. That's 63 inches tall at the withers at the base of his neck. So his, his head is, uh, or I'm sorry, his back is about two inches uh, lower than the top of my head. And when he puts his, he holds his head quite high. So he, I call it his giraffe routine when he gets frightened or something, and he puts his head way up and doesn't want to be uh, worked with or something. And we have commands like you would with a dog, you know, um, down. But in and with a horse, it doesn't mean lay down. It means lower your head so I can put the bridle on. Um, and you do have a relationship which is similar to that of a guide dog, although they don't take care of you the way. A dog would, but it is a real bond. It's a real spiritual bond when you work with them and and in your riding, and maybe you you turn your head and they turn. That's all you did is turn your head. And, and um, you have less than five minutes, Marcia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, just wanted to let you know. Good. Right. So the aids can the, the cues or aids we call them can be quite subtle, and the horse can understand them, and it's. Uh, it's just it's just thrilling to have that accomplishment to be able to work with a huge animal that you know you wonder sometimes well, well they don't really have to do this <laughs> you know I can't make him he's you know twelve hundred pounds you know I can't make him do it but uh, 
it's it's such a um it is just it's just thrilling i don't know so you after you've ridden you come home you're hungry you're tired and you've got this you kind of review it oh i i did it and even though i have ridden a, a, a long time it's still exciting and i'm old i mean i'm 70 and i ride five times a week if the weather allows and it keeps me strong it keeps me really happy so if there's any questions, I'd love to, to All talk right, if more. you have any questions, raise your hand. Uh, and I imagine each ride is, is different. Yes. If it's windy, you know, you can't hear so well. I use radio at each end of my riding area because I ride, there's nobody around. and uh, We've got some raise hands and you know one person, I uh, think. Yeah, we have a uh, <laughs> phone number ending in 4902. This yeah. is Susanna, a great friend of Marsha's, but I wanted to bring up an issue as um, I ride as well, and I wondered if Marsha talked about hands and using the hands and contact with the horse, and I wonder if her pottery has helped her get her hands right, because I don't do pottery and my hands aren't always right. <laughs> well, I have to think about that a lot, because in certain gates with the horse, you need to follow and be soft. With clay, you need to be bossy. Uh, you need to be, yeah, you, you, yeah, you need to. Um, so I have to, I have to remind myself of that because the clay will try to move you as it's spinning, and you have to brace your arms and uh, not let it shove you around. Uh, you have to be very gentle at times when it's the pottery is getting thinner and thinner and thinner. You have to light. Your touch has to be light, but it has to be very. I'll say stern. <laughs> and at times you have to be stern with a horse, too. <laughs> but sometimes you have to follow their swing of their head as they walk and canter. Both the horse swings their head, and you have to follow them and not restrict their movement. Yeah, I think we have other hands. Randy? We do. Uh, phone number ending in 2898. Okay. <laughs> Marcia, hey, you were quick um, that time, Regina. Very good. Yeah, this time it worked, but... Um, do you ship out since you have uh, like like gift items, uh, or is it just strictly for people that are in the area? Oh no, I ship. I, yes. Okay. So, what's the name of your store and the phone number? Okay, it's wakerobingallery dot com. If you want to go there, and then the phone number is three zero four four six six two 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 seven. Thank you. Sure. All right, anybody else? Next is Agnes. Hi, this is Agnes, and I'm I'm a longtime friend of Marsha's, and I've had the opportunity to get some of her pottery for my uh, well for myself, but I've also given it as gifts, and people are always very impressed. And for some of them, uh, Marsha made me some mugs, and she put on like their year of graduation from uh, college, and. Uh, Marcia, could you quickly explain to us when you do shows like the one you talked about in your article, the last show of the season, how you know where to go when you're doing the different oh. things you have to do? Okay, yeah, you're, you're talking about horse shows um, horse with shows. my horse. Yeah. Yes, um, uh, the dressage arena or court, they call it, um, has letters around it. All, it always does. They're always the same. It's the same setup every time. And so when I ride a 
they're called tests. You do them individually. I have uh, volunteers stand just outside the rail. The rail's about ankle height, and they stand just outside that and at the appropriate letters. And um, sometimes I have eight of them <laughs> around the outside. So it's a big, a big commitment for those people. But they, um, they call the letters at the appropriate time so that I can do a specific move, change gait, do a circle, do a, a leg yield. That's when the horse steps over, uh, the, the, their legs cross over and they go sideways. Um, and, um, but anyway, those moves have to be done at a certain place. And if they're not, you know, you lose points or you don't, you get a zero for that move. Each move has a, has a score. And at the end, also, there is um, a score for the rider's uh, effectiveness of their aids. And uh, so how effectively you cue the horse, I guess, is what some of those scores are for. So I hope that, hope that makes sense. Do we have any other hands, Randy? We do not. Okay. Well, Marcia, thank okay. you so much. And, and well, it all worked Thank out. you for being patient with oh, my technical okay. it's, problems. It's, it's okay. We, we, we got it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. All Take right. Care. We have our next speaker who is here, Claire Stanley. Yay. Um, Claire graduated from law school at the University of California, Irvine, um, in the spring of 2015, she's she's a little young. She probably doesn't fit into that category that Jeff was talking about. But she has now worked for the American Council of the Blind for two two and two and a half years. Wow! Uh, before coming to ACB, Claire was a legal intern with the Protection and Advocacy Office in the District of Columbia, as well as working for the Mid Atlantic Office of the ATA uh, National Network. So Claire is ACB's Director of Ad, Director of Advocacy, Advoc- Outreach and Advocacy or something. Anyway, she'll tell us. Um, but she's going to talk this morning um, pretty much about sort of taking our care of our health care issues from home and and talking about medical equipment and issues that ACB is working on. So, Claire, thank you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Great to be here. I wish I could actually be in West Virginia with all of you, but this is the next best thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so um, my title at ACB is the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist, and I get to work closely with Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, to work on just about everything related to advocacy um, on behalf of the blind and visually impaired community. Um, And I must say, listening to the last speaker, I want to go out now and and ride a horse. So thank you for (laughs) letting me listen. Um, But yeah, I was asked to talk a little bit about um, health related issues um, for the blind and visually impaired community. And let me tell you, there is a lot going on in this world, um, both because of the COVID-19 crisis, but also just because of what's going on in our country right now. We have a lot of health related issues, um, obesity, things like that. So we are definitely working on this this topic. So I'm excited to, to be able to talk about it. Um, so I'm just making sure I have my, yes, my, my notes properly in front of me. Um, 
So like I said, one of the first issues that we've been talking about that specifically ties in with COVID-19, but really has come up before that because of technology, is the use of telehealth services. Um, COVID has really exacerbated it now, where um, instead of going physically into a doctor's office, you can now talk with a doctor via a telehealth system. But we've seen this even before COVID, you know, it's kind of the you know, the new era of medicine in the 21st century. But like a lot of us know, um, uh, different platforms on your computer often are not accessible with screen reading software, with JAWS or voiceover. So it's something we've taken a close look at and we are taking personal stories. So if your doctor is using a telehealth platform and it's not accessible with JAWS, voiceover, Zoom text, whatever it might be, we really want to hear about that. We've already received a couple of complaints, and it's something we're looking into. And the first thing, of course, we would contact that company and tell them, you know, you have an obligation to comply with uh, WCAG standards, the Web Accessibility, Web Content Accessibility yeah. Guidelines. So it's something we're working on. Um, But one thing that we did see under the CARES Act, and the CARES Act was one of the stimulus packages that Congress passed during the COVID crisis, was that they did um, instruct healthcare providers to kind of be lenient on what platforms telehealth services were using. So if the telehealth software was not accessible for people, for whatever reason, not just the blind, but the elderly, um, people with different disabilities, really anything, uh, the CARES Act did kind of loosen that responsibility and said you could talk to people over the phone. So that was really helpful under the CARES Act, but we want to be really um insistent that it shouldn't just be during COVID with the CARES Act, but that it should be something extended. So that's something that the national office is keeping an eye on. So that's really important. So that's kind of the the telehealth thing. Um, But before I move on to the next topic, again, I just want to stress that if anybody's having issues with telehealth systems, I don't think they're going away. I think um, COVID has really prompted the use of that so even when COVID's over I think doctor's offices are gonna want to continue to use them so let us know if you're having any issues. Um, The next topic under healthcare that I wanted to touch upon is medical equipment. Um, There are so many different forms of medical equipment now that people can use at home so Um, Of course, you go into the doctor's office and you use medical equipment, but now we're living in an era where you can have things at home, um, and some of them are accessible and some of them are not. Um, We've heard people say now that you can go on Amazon and even buy your own um, blood blood pressure cuff, and they're quote-unquote accessible. They have text-to-speech capabilities, you know, have talking thermometers. Um, But there's a lot of question about how truly accessible they are and when they have text-to-speech, how accurate they are. So that's an issue. So those are just some, you know, really um, basic examples that we want to keep an eye on. But a little bit more advanced is something we're talking about in the national office are glucometer meters for people with diabetes and other different devices that people with diabetes are using. Um, So that's something that we've been working on. If you guys recall, in 20, 
2018, no, 2019, I'm getting my years mixed up, um, diabetes-related issues and durable medical equipment, which is the the terminology we use um, in the legal field. Um, That was one of our imperatives for the legislative seminar to advocate for in the legislative sphere to try to get any durable medical equipment to be accessible for those of us who are blind or visually impaired. Um, And we've really been running into a lot of roadblocks. We have been looking at all three branches of the government, as they call them. So should we bring a lawsuit? Should we promote legislation? Or should we go to a federal agency and have them do something? And we're still looking at all three of those options. Um, But we've really hit some walls, unfortunately. Um, they're, They're continuing to be some some resistance and some difficulties in doing that. So that doesn't mean we're stopping, um, but we're just trying to kind of regroup and find different solutions. Our current um, kind of plan of action um, when it comes to glucometers and other devices for people with diabetes is we're reaching out to one of the major manufacturers um, that create glucometers. And for those of you with diabetes, this name is probably going to ring a bell, Abbott. Um, and we are currently working with what ACB calls our Diabetic Coalition. It has people like Chris Gray and Tom Tobin, who are persons with diabetes, who are part of our diabetic um, affiliate and who know these issues inside and out and even more. And so we're drafting a letter to Abbott and saying, you know, we have been trying to reach out to you guys for years and your product is not accessible and that is not okay. Um, And if you don't do anything about it, we are going to potentially take additional steps. Um, So that's our current plan of action is to reach out to Abbott because they really are one of the biggest names in that that field. Um, So again, we're working with our cohort that we call them. Um, But if anybody has any suggestions, we are always looking for new ideas. Because like we said, we've kind of run into this roadblock where we're trying to use all three branches of the government, so to speak. um, And we're having some resistance. But have no fear. We are going to continue to work on it because we know, and I'm sure you guys know, diabetes is one of the leading causes of blindness, especially in uh, those who are middle-aged Americans. Um, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, um, but especially for those who um, who are struggling with obesity, there's the link between obesity, obesity and diabetic re- retinopathy, which leads to um, type 2 diabetes. So those are some issues that we're really looking at as a result. Um, so when it, I call for questions, please keep that in mind that diabetes and uh, glucometers and diabetic medical equipment is a big thing we're continue to look at. Um, so the next topic I wanted to bring up, which is perfectly timely after I talked about that, is exercise equipment. Um, that's something that we've been working on in the National Office for, an aisle, for a while now. Um, we want to make sure that exercise equipment are accessible. Um, I've gone to gyms many times and I want to go work on a, a treadmill or, you know, a uh, an elliptical, and as technology gets more and more advanced, which is exciting, they are not accessible to those of us who are blind. So they have all kinds of buttons and screens, and you can do anything now. I feel like you could probably order a pizza off of a <laughs> machine now, but it's not accessible. Um, so we're working on advocating for accessible exercise equipment. 
Um, so we are, we've been working with a cohort of other disability advocacy organizations, um, and we're currently looking into two potential different advocacy opportunities. One is working with one of the major companies that produces these exercise equipment to work on a structured negotiation. So structured negotiations are kind of a step down from litigation. So instead of us saying, we're going to sue you, it says, can we work on a structured negotiation to find ways to talk about how we can make your products accessible? And through this structured negotiation, we'll come up with some solutions. We put them on paper. And then over a given amount of time, you have to comply with that negotiation. So we're one of our things we're working on now is to make an, a, a structured negotiation with one of those, like I said, biggest exercise equipment companies that's out there. So that's one thing we're working on. And again, we do that with kind of a coalition of several other disability advocacy organizations. So it's not just for the blind, it's for people with physical disabilities, um, et cetera. So we're working on that. Um, but with that same cohort, we've also been looking at some legislation. Um, so actually making laws that say that exercise equipment have to be accessible for people with all different disabilities. And I apologize, I don't remember the name of the bill, but it's something literally like exercise equipment equality for all, or I can look it up, but it's, it's a piece of legislation that will literally call for that it's the legislation slowed a little bit and it's probably going to really come to a screeching halt because, um, you know, until the elections are over this fall and we start the new session of Congress in January, things will be a little bit slow, but we're going to continue to work on those and come January when the new session starts. It's something we're going to continue um, to advocate for. So that's an exciting piece of legislation. Um, also in the exercise equipment world, something we can celebrate with is the accessibility of the Peloton devices. Um, so you guys have probably seen the commercials for them, although maybe you don't know because their commercials aren't super accessible, which is a whole other issue to work on. Um, but Peloton devices um, are treadmills or other bicycles that have a tablet attached to them. And when you use the tablet, they literally have... Um, uh, fitness instructors cheering you on and giving you instructions. Um, you can communicate with other persons who are at home or in the gyms participating on. So it has really great 21st century technology. But because it was so advanced, Peloton devices were initially not accessible for those of us who are blind. So we can really give a lot of kudos to Clark for doing a lot of advocacy and the national office. But Clark was especially interested because he's our exercise guru. And so we did a lot of advocacy to work with Peloton. And this was a great example that we didn't have to bring a lawsuit or get super aggressive. We just reached out to Peloton and said, hey, you know, the blind community is a huge cohort of people who want to exercise and we want to make your product accessible. And through some just really great, you know, um, polite conversations, we were able to get Peloton to make both the app on their phone that you can use, as well as the devices that you use at a gym or if you purchase the device at home to make the devices with the text-to-speech um, use, you know, it's theirs isn't voiceover because it's their own proprietary software, but basically like voiceover. So now if you want to purchase your own Peloton device, 
um, you can use that and it's accessible. Um, and we are continuing to have conversations with them. So our, our relationship is not over. We want to continue to um, talk with Peloton and build that relationship for future um, ideas that'll come. So it's really exciting. So that was a great thing that went on and a perfect example of, you know, you can have situations where you don't have to sue and we can have relationships. Uh, so that was exciting. They were actually supposed to come to convention this summer, but then we all know what happened at convention this summer with COVID. So hopefully we'll continue. Um, another thing in the exercise world that Clark has really pushed for, and I'll refer to Clark a lot. If you guys don't know Clark, he is a Paralympian tandem bicyclist. Um, so he's really our um, internal athlete. So he really knows these things far more than I do. Um, but Clark has really pushed for a relationship with uh, the Achilles running group, Achilles International. And so we've already had a couple of um, calls and community calls with Achilles um, for the national um, ACB office. And we want to continue to build relationship with Achilles so that we can promote um, uh, physical health um, for those in the blind community. Um, so Achilles, the first thing I always think of Achilles is they do running. You can get a sighted partner to go and running, go run with people, but they offer other adaptable um, exercise options as well. So that's been really exciting. And that's to promote fitness because unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of people know um, fitness in the blind community can be a challenge. Um, statistically, a lot of Americans are obese and we know in the blind community, there are ex um, extra challenges because it's hard for us to go and you know do exercise because like we just talked about exercise equipment might not be accessible we need guides to go and run with us um, so Achilles does some great work to promote um, fitness for the blind community and other disabilities um, so there are chapters throughout the country um, they provide um, adaptive exercise opportunities. And one exciting thing is even during COVID, they're doing some virtual exercise programs. So don't think, oh, man, well, I can't go out now and run with the runner because of COVID. They're even doing some projects right now. Um, and they're continuing to work with ACB. So there will be opportunities even during COVID to partner with them. Um, a couple other exercise-related things that um, we're working on even during COVID is we're working with the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes, USABA, um, to do similar work. Um, and there is a National Blind Sports Day. Um, I Who would have known? I had no idea. Um, and that day is on October 3rd. Um, so we're going to do some great stuff. And Donna can actually talk. Donna Brown can talk a lot about this because she's going to join in some of the community events we're doing. So there's a lot of really exciting things going on to promote um, physical health um, for persons who are blind. Again, I know it can be really tough for us to get out there because like we talked about exercise equipment isn't accessible. Um, we can't run without partners. I mean, there are so many things that are obstacles, but as I've just gone through, there are so many now um, opportunities, whether it be um, using Peloton, us working on getting new exercise equipment to be accessible, working with groups like Achilles, there are a lot of really great opportunities. Um, so we can't use those as excuses anymore. Um, another thing that the national office is doing in this realm is um, we're trying to really do 
um, a lot of outreach to ethnic and minority communities. Um, statistically, members of ethnic and minority um, communities, racial minorities, are that much more at risk of contracting diabetes um, and other health-related issues. Um, it's a it, the real results of that is a whole skew of things, but it really comes from lack of access to healthy food, lack of access to um, exercise equipment, all kinds of different things. And for those of you who know, one of our resolutions um, at convention this summer was to really bring in um, more racial diversity in ACB. And because that's one of our priorities, we also want to work on bringing health, uh, health access to racial minority groups within the blind community. Um, like I talked about just a moment ago, statistically members of racial and ethnic diversity group or diverse groups um, are that much more at risk of developing diabetes and diabetic retinopathy in middle age. Um, so we really wanna reach out to these communities and promote different access to everything we've talked about. Um, so Tony, I know most of you guys know Tony Stevens. He used to have Clark's job, and now he is back in a different role to do. Um, he's the director of development. Um, so he helps get ACB grants to do different projects. One uh, project he's working on right now is to get grants to do promotion of healthcare and access to um, services for ethnic and racial uh, minority groups specifically within the healthcare space. So how can we bring in money to really promote everything I've been talking about? And so that's something really exciting that we're looking again at these different minority groups. And again, I think it's exciting because it aligns perfectly with one of our resolutions we passed um, Technically not at convention this summer because convention was uh, different, but our board of directors um, just adopted it in um, August. So that was one of our um, new resolutions that was passed this year in 2020. Um, and I'd encourage everybody to look up that resolution online. So Tony's working on that grant and it's really exciting to promote healthcare within that space. Um, so that's some broader work that we're doing. Um, and just to before I, I open the floor for um, questions, and I'd love to answer questions on any of this, um, we just want to really stress that persons who are blind or visually impaired often struggle more with other health conditions, depending on how you lost your vision, there can be other health components, and that can exacerbate um, um, healthcare situations, you might, you know, it could be diabetes, and then you have you're more prone to other health related issues, or just secondary health related issues. Um, we all have a different story on how we lost our vision. And it's often coupled with other health, um, you know, difficulties. So we really want to work on these issues and find ways to have access to whatever it might be, whether that's access to different durable medical equipment, access to the doctors that you need, access to exercise equipment, uh, whatever it might be. So we're really trying to look at that. So we'd also love to hear from everybody about what kind of different health-related issues you're having, what kind of equipment you might need, um, what kind of access you might need, we get lots of questions about Medicare and Medicaid, lots of questions about Social Security. So those are the issues that um, I'd personally love to get calls from. Um, you can call me directly at the ACB office and ask for me or ask for Clark or both of us. And these are the issues that we want to hear from you guys so that we can help um, 
advocate for solutions, which could look like all kinds of different things. But please reach out to us because healthcare is a huge issue in the blind and VI community, and we want to hear from you guys. Um, so with that, I'd love to take anywhere all questions. All right. First hand I saw was Agnes. Hi, Claire. I have a quick question. If we go to a gym and want to use exercise equipment and we don't have anybody with us, um, can they tell us that we can't do this unless we bring someone? Absolutely not. Um, So it's tricky in the fact that there is currently no, or not no, none, but there are very few examples of accessible um, equipment. And as it stands right now, there's no law that says they have to provide accessible exercise equipment. So they can say, sorry, we don't have exercise equipment. But as an alternative, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, they have to provide some kind of accommodation, which could the most um, obvious would be someone at the front desk or another employee would have to walk over to the treadmill for you and turn it on and set it for you. So yes, legally, they don't have to have accessible medical, excuse me, accessible exercise equipment right now. But that does not mean you have to bring some with you, they would have to provide an employee to go over and turn things on for you and that kind of thing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Next is Candice. Um, we talked after at the national convention. Actually. Um, I was just curious, you had mentioned, and I know this was mentioned, mentioned national about the Peloton um, equipment. Are there any articles that I could go and read up on accessibility? Because that does sound really interesting. And I have watched some of the commercials. And as you said, no, they're not very accessible. And so you want articles on the accessibility features of Peloton? Yeah. Are there any articles like, um, you know, like on the Peloton equipment that talks about, you know, text-to-speech and and the accessibility of the equipment? I do believe they said that they are promoting it on their website because why wouldn't you want to promote that on your website? That you (laughs) have a phenomenal thing. Um, So I would poke around on their website, but I also just took note of it. So I will see if I can find a direct link and get that to Donna and the, the affiliate. But I would think and suppose that if you go on their website, that there should be something there. And I know they've told us that they're trying to put some stuff on their website to talk about accessibility, because why would you not want to toot your horn? Um, but again, mm-hmm. I'll, also, I'll also poke around and see what I can find for you guys. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kevin, I, I, I don't know if you saw Randy. Kevin raised his hand. Go ahead, Kevin. Maybe I missed it. I know you was talking uh, about diabetic uh, stuff. I have the Prodigy um, glucose meter, and um, do you all do anything with like insurance companies? Because I I get the Prodigy has the uh, no code test strips, and it is an absolute fight every time I have to get um, those strips. They you know they always say my you know insurance doesn't cover it and i constantly have to go to my doctor they have to fill out a bunch of paperwork they send it to peia they deny it and it it, i mean five months six months later i get my test strips Mm -hmm. and you know and you know and 
I'm lucky in one hand that I, I can go to like maxi aids and, and they actually sell those, but I feel like I shouldn't have to pay for it. For sure. Yeah. And insurance is another great example, lack of a better word, of healthcare related issues that we see in the blind community. Um, so depending on what insurance you have, and what the setup is, that's kind of an individual advocacy issue. So um, I can't give you the direct answer right now. But that is a perfect example of something you can call us at the national office. And we'd love to be able to help for you and do some investigating and find out what's going on. So feel free to call me um, at the national office ask for Claire Stanley and I can help figure out what's going on. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. This is Glenn. Uh, I have a question. I just couldn't figure out how, how to raise my hand. I forgot that, the command. That, that's okay. That's okay. You're in the um, it's okay. Um, Claire, I would like to tell you that I am so thrilled that you were on pick of the letter and you <laughs> that's tonight, Glenn, that's tonight. I know, but she did <laughs> such a wonderful job. But that's on, tonight. <laughs> she represented ACB so well. And yeah, I, thank but get, you. get to the, health. Uh, my, my question for health is I have a CPAP machine and my, um, insurance company requires that I use it four hours a night minimal. And the screen obviously is not um, accessible. Is there any possibilities in the ACB of working with uh, the CPAP companies to get those uh, to be accessible? Yeah, so that is exactly what I was talking about. That's a perfect example of a piece of equipment that's durable medical equipment. Um, just like glucometers, it's another DME, as we call it. So those are the exact type of devices we're working on to try to um, make accessible, whether it be text-to-speech or something else. Um, so I wish I had a short-term example or answer of how we're going to make it accessible, but those are the very exact things we're working on, whether it be through legislation, through litigation, through working with uh, CMS, so I don't have a short-term answer, but that's a perfect example of a durable medical equipment that we're trying to get um, accessible. So thank, thank you so keep, much. Keep listening. I, I <laughs> yeah. will. Yeah. And also the local uh, healthcare provider that I see um, is very accommodating. They, they will sure. uh, FaceTime and everything because okay. they know that their uh, telehealth system is not accessible. Okay. Um, I can accept accept the invite but the problem is i cannot let them know that i'm in the lobby waiting for the uh-huh. doctor um so is there any solutions to that um that would be an example of a situation we'd love to hear about to find out what's what software program they're using to reach out to the the um the particular company they're using so reach out to the national office i'm keeping a a list or a spreadsheet, so to speak, of all the different companies or software programs doctors are using so that we can do some outreach and say, you need to cover WCAG standards. What are you doing? Um, I did forward the emails um, Donna sent about telehealth um, to the doctor's office and they are very, um, you know, accommodating um, to help. But, but it so it's it's it, but it's the next level really the or, or the top level or whatever the the website manager or, or you know the constructor or, you know whatever yeah. it's it, you know, it's beyond you know your, your your medical 
person, you know. I, yeah. I do not off the top of my head. No, I don't. Re- reach out to the national office and we can do some snooping and find out what company they use. Okay. Thank you so much, Miss Stanley. We have more raised hands. We do. We have uh, we have Donna Browning. So I go, I use Kaiser. And when you go to get blood work or anything done there, they give you a little slip of paper and they put the numbers up on the wall. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm by myself, that's a problem. Is, yep. It, are the, is um, ACB working on this? Have they heard about this over at Kaiser? And if so, if um, on it, if not, how do I get that worked on? Um, I'm taking note of it right now. That's a perfect example of how under the Americans with Disabilities Act, they need to make some kind of accommodation where they do it differently for you. Um, So whether it be when you check in, you say you need to call out my name or something like that. Um, But I'm taking note of it right now to investigate Kaiser. Um, But yeah, so thank you. But yes, they would need to make an alternate accommodation for you. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. If anyone else has any questions, we'll take one more and then we need to we need to um, stop for now, and I feel sure Claire's going to be back tonight uh, <laughs> to talk about some other things, including pick of the litter, um, but some other things. But I feel sure if you think of a healthcare question or something during the day, I, I feel sure should she'd answer that tonight as well. For sure, and, and if you guys ever have any advocacy issues, just reach out to us at advocacy at acb.org. That's the perfect place to reach Clark and myself, and we'd love to help with any issues. And they produce a wonderful podcast. I, I, send, I send the emails to our, our Mountain State list, but every Thursday, generally, yes. <laughs> um, it, it, it comes out, and it's 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 wonderful. Clark and Claire do a wonderful job, and they often have different guests, you know. But it's it's a different topic each week. But generally, it's a, a um, pertinent topic to you know what's going on in in the real world. <laughs> so um, thank you all for doing that. That's it's a wonderful. Uh, I, I listen to them every week. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so we are going to take a lunch break for now. But before we do that, real quick, I want to thank Doug and Randy again. Doug has been our streamer again, and Randy has been our host. And um, unless they join, you know, the convention uh, on their own, but that we'll have new streamer and a new host this afternoon. But thank you so much, Doug and Randy, for giving up your time to help us. My and pleasure. thank the rest of you for attending. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your lunch.